0: The following podcast contains mature language and spoilers. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Superheroes Podcast. I'm a legal machine and with me is
0: Diablo Frank
1: and Mr. Nice Fixer. And today we're going to talk about the 10th anniversary of Captain America, the first Avenger for Captain America's first real appearance here in the Marvel Cinematic Universe.
0: Actually, before we get started, too, I wanted to uh, read a review. I was trying to get into the headspace of where people were in 2011, and I wasn't t- particularly interested in the positive reviews, although I checked a few of those out, too. But there was there were a number of negative reviews, and they'll come up throughout our discussion. But one in particular I had to read. This is from from Cineview spelled V-U-E and the reviewer is Joe Walsh not that Joe Walsh he gives the movie a one star review uh, I have never really been comfortable with Captain America star of new block Marvel blockbuster Captain America the first Avenger 2011 as a superhero unlike Batman Spider-Man or the majority of his Avengers posse there's no real edge to this character uh, he is simply a soldier with disturbing jingoistic attitudes out to indoctrinate the world with the American dream of capitalism apple pie and a big shield both the Star Spangled Banner. Captain America's comic book origins are based in the US propaganda of World War II, as the comic book was developed to encourage the war effort, which is something the film surprisingly touches on. However, the trouble with this new blockbuster version of Captain America is that its simplistic nature just isn't that captivating. The plot focuses on Steve Rogers, Chris Evans, a small guy with a big heart for the red, white, and blue. Rogers is given the opportunity to become a super soldier, and thus able to successfully battle the evil Hydra, the deep science wing of Hitler's Reich, headed up by Johann Schmidt, Hugo Weaving, aka the Red Skull, who has a bright red head and a penchant for Wagner, because all Nazis love Wagner, obviously. Captain America is simply awful. It is another hour and a half of prologue to the film people are apparently waiting for, The Avengers. Like Thor before it, Captain America is full of cameos of minor Marvel characters, such as Tony Stark's father Howard, Dominic Cooper, and Nick Urey, Samuel L. Jackson, all neatly getting in line for The Avengers, which on past evidence may very well turn out to be the type of tired movie that we have seen on million times before, just with different colored spandex. The performances are also extremely poor. Weaving's Red Skull is a camp Indiana Jones-style Nazi, complete with maniacal laugh and black leather trench coat, and Evans is hugely irritating as Steve Rogers' Captain America. Admittedly, the cast can't be held entirely to account as the comic book is very one-dimensional. Strangely, the film adaptation has been modernized with weapons charged with an ancient power source, a link to the comic book mythology of Thor, which just doesn't look right in the 1940s. Annoyingly, Weaver's Red Skull, A potentially interesting character just isn't developed. His reasoning for wanting to conquer the world is just that he is a nasty guy with delusions of grandeur. Filmmaker Joe Johnston, who put put us through such half-baked atrocities as Jurassic Park 3 and The Wolfman, has missed an opportunity to do a Nolan, namely to reinvent the genre and give the character some actual character. Instead, we have a film jam-packed with cliches that we have been seeing since 2002 with Sam Raimi's first Spider-Man. I understand that these films make big money and that many a 10-year-old will lap this up, but how many more of these dull camp, tired Marvel superhero movies can we put up with?
2: Good lord. And that was the last, I'm probably sure that's the last we ever heard of that writer.
0: I think he's still active. He's he's British, and I think he does a lot of high flute and art school stuff. Oh, but uh, he so definitely he should went, not have been the guy reviewing this particular movie. Oh, dude, when, and his takes are Nolan,
2: When he started saying Nolan, I'm like, oh, he's one of those guys. He's mm-hmm. like, oh, I wanted stupid reality. That's what I want reality. Oh. Get the fuck
0: out of here. So, wait, dude. wait.
1: Okay, so I found um, this review. I, I found this review. Can I just point something out about this review? Mm-hmm. It was written in August 2018.
0: Mm-hmm. So No, I don't think so.
1: Joseph Walsh for
0: Cineview? Uh, the, it was published on. July 29th, 2011. uh, Okay, uh, so maybe
1: it was posted to Rotten Tomatoes on yeah okay my bad my
0: bad yeah and see uh uh, in this fellow's defense besides probably being a more of an art house fart sniffer um also uh, appears to be british based on the spellings and if you recall when this movie came out there was a lot of concern at marvel and, and just in general that the world wasn't ready for a captain america movie we were still mired in the iraq war uh there was a lot of bad feelings particularly among the british since they got dragged into that by our bullshit and tony blair and so i i think that there was probably a lot of animosity going into this which is probably the reason why this guy keeps ringing the jingoism bell but uh obviously there's more to this movie than that um, I it bothers me so much though because not only is this not the right guy just in general but the fact that he keeps looking for that edge why don't you reinvent the genre with this movie and shit you know this movie is part of a a building cinematic universe which obviously he also has trouble comprehending and just a basic lack of understanding of what kind of movie this is and inability to appreciate this kind of movie it it just it's it's galling but I I was curious to hear more of your guys thoughts fuck the
2: cunt
1: I mean, that's not bad. Uh, yeah, I mean, talk about just totally missing the point of Captain America. Like, oh, just shit. whiffing on the character. I, I, I mean, there, there is nothing... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, just from... You were blazing through that review. I mean, nothing about Captain America is him marching through the world preaching fucking apple pie and baseball and American values. Like that's the dumbest furthest. now maybe it's because I know more about Captain America or maybe because then you see uh where he develops in Avengers and Winter Soldier. I, I don't know. But I- even in this fucking movie, he's not doing that. He's not going around showing up other countries as like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I-, I don't know. I- that's some serious projection. <laughs> like serious like homie better. I think that review tells talks more about himself than it talks about the actual movie
2: I think he loses the point that the whole thing about Steve Rogers is he's trying to live up to a dream. That's it. He's not like, oh, you should get out there and join the military. He's like, he he wants to fulfill what he feels is the American dream for him. And that's the service country. But he never puts down anyone else. Like, he's he's trying to achieve his his dream. No, no,
1: no, no. It says what the movie's about in the movie. I don't like bullies. He says, I'm not going over there. He goes, I don't want to kill anyone. I just don't like bullies. And then, furthermore, in the movie, (laughs) they're very clear that the super soldier serum. It enhances every quality. If you're bad, you're worse. If you're good, you're better, right? Like, that's what it is. They, they select Steve, not because Steve's the strongest or the most macho or the most American. It's because the dude's got, like, his superpower. His, his superpower is that he's the most fucking decent, caring human being on Earth who's been beat up his whole life and now finally has a chance to make things right and fight the bully. That's what the movie's about. And if you don't put that in your review, then I don't know what the fuck you're watching, dude. Like, you are, that's so far off base. If you tell me the, the, the special effects suck, and you don't really understand what Red Skull's up to so you give it a you know two out of five okay fine uh, but beyond that I uh, you lost me I, I, at least have your criticisms be grounded in, in something
0: well and I thought it was interesting too because he, he was talking about making the character complex giving it an edge and stuff and one bit of dialogue that I thought was interesting uh, you know in retrospect was Bucky and Steve uh, kind of having a back and forth at the Stark Expo and uh, Bucky's talking about look while you're here in the States you could you know you can collect you can, you can do a uh, 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 metal collection you can uh, work for war bonds there's all this stuff you can do while you're here in the states you can work in an assembly factory there's all this stuff you can do you don't have to be in the field and steve like tries to say well i can't be here when i when people are dying on the field and bucky's like yeah because you don't have anything to prove and it's a very salient point with his character this is a guy who puts himself into situations where he's completely in over his head because he just won't back down because he does have something to prove to himself and to others that he's somebody who is marginalized and dismissed and he wants to matter too so it's not just about the good fight it's also about him becoming somebody that people would admire becoming somebody that people would respect it's not just about that true red white and blue type stuff he does have complexity to his character he does have complexity to his motivations beyond just I'm a decent guy but the fact is again as stated explicitly in the movie clearly a big point of uh, his getting these powers is that he's a weak man who appreciates the strength doesn't take it for granted doesn't become cruel continues to have compassion because he himself is a person who comes from a place of weakness. So as you said, you don't want to get a guy who's super dark and driven and and has all these mental problems and stuff uh, because that's not what the story is about and given how many characters, how many anti-heroes have come to dominate superhero movies, at least especially up to the point of the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe prior to that, given how many successful movies were based around anti-heroes and these darker characters I, the whole point of Captain America was it was a relief from that. It was a contrast to these more ambiguous characters. And even in the case of Spider-Man's reference, and I think that reference is very specifically because Spider-Man also had those close ties to the World Trade bombing, which of course led to things like the British getting into the Iraq War. Um, Spidey has his own problems too, you know. Spidey has his own uh, more uh, uh, motivations that aren't entirely pure. He, In some ways you can draw a line between Spider-Man and Captain America, but the difference is Cap is of course much more self-sacrificing and even though there's some some question about whether or not there's an element of masochism to that which is also present in spider-man ultimately spider-man is driven by guilt where cap with with uh, layers is still driven by a greater good and a sense of duty to his fellow man and that definitely stands apart from most of the super, other superhero movies particularly up to the beginning of the Marvel Cinematic Universe I think that one thing that it's not given enough credit for is that the MCU is a lot more optimistic than most superhero universes certainly more optimistic than anything we've seen since the uh, Donner uh, reeve superman movies and uh, i that's why it was such a relief to see this movie and not have it be about the raw raw 80s style usa fuck yeah type shit it's about remembering what was good about the usa for the character that's definitely entrenched in that milieu you know
1: yeah i, I totally agree I, I it's very again I, that dude's got a, a beef or something like or, or he the dude was just in a bad mood i don't know what was going on with that guy uh yeah anyway i would lo- I, I was scrolling through some more of his reviews though. He he seems to like a lot of other <laughs> Marvel movies though so I don't know maybe they won him over at some point he gave like uh, he gave Endgame like four out of five stars I see Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse four out of five stars I mean he you know maybe they won him over years later after he was like oh that's why there's cameos from all the other characters yeah dude uh, you know maybe he didn't get it at the time but um, oh, I wish I could go back and his, write uh, another
0: review then motherfucker
2: I stick by my statement fuck the
0: cunt yeah uh, I like too that they're talking about how it's this World War II propaganda and and of course, revealing ignorance again. We were not in World War II at the time Captain America came into existence, you know? Uh, this was a couple of Jewish guys watching what was happening to their, their people in Germany and in Europe broadly and simmering and wanting to do something to, to combat that. There were still people in our country that were non-interventionists or actual Nazi sympathizers who had no interest in joining the war at the time Captain America came about. So this wasn't some sort of government propaganda. These were two, again, relatively weak men who could only contribute an icon to fight against the evils of the Nazi powers. So very much going from the wrong headspace with that notion of who Captain kind of America is and why he was created. Uh,
1: he gave uh, the uh, Civil War three out of five too. So I, I don't, this guy's a clown. Um, yeah, no, exactly right. Uh, I mean, and, and look, it's historically accurate, okay? Like literally during those years, the US government used comic book characters to sell war bonds. It actually happened, okay? Like it actually happened. And when he's punching Hitler on the, the you know, in, in his little uh, sideshow Broadway play, to to rally up the troops. That was literally the fucking cover of Captain America's first appearance back in fucking 1941 or whatever. I mean, I mean it, it's not... Stop projecting, bro. Like, some of it... It actually happened. You don't want them to include it in the movie when it actually happened. And that Captain America as a fictional character was actually used to sell war bonds. Uh, I mean, it, uh, I don't know. Uh, fuck you, dude. <laughs> well,
0: on, dude. Uh, the the, the, uh, the one line to one sentence, the performances are extremely poor. So he's talking about every actor in this movie is giving poor performances, which is bullshit. Complete bullshit. Oh, yeah. I, and it's not even like... I, I I could see, like, I know know a lot of people can't watch older movies because you got a lot of people that are used to working in a theater and playing to the back of the room. And so the performance is really big and really arch. And so there are tons of people that can't watch movies. that were created before, you know, the method acting period in the seventies, basically. And this movie doesn't even have that. I mean, the, the characters are well portrayed. They're not always like shown like with great layers and stuff, but on the surface level, just in terms of basic performance capacity, these actors are doing a good job. They're reading the lines well. You believe the characters when they're st- making the statements that they're stating. Uh, I don't see how you look at these guys and say that the performances are poor. This is, again, clearly somebody with an axe to grind. Oh,
2: yeah.
1: Yeah, and it's not even – it's not a two out of five. or one out of five. This movie is a one out of five. I, I mean, uh, I can't even uh, – like, Josh Trank's Fantastic Four is a one out of five. This movie is on another plane of existence from that movie. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, a one out of five. what uh, 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 my mind exploded.
0: And another thing I kept finding in reviews, which is part of what uh, delayed my own watching, uh, re-watching of Captain America, was a lot of the contemporary reviewers kept comparing it disparagingly to the Rocketeer. And I managed to go almost 30 years, or th- around about 30 years, without seeing the Rocketeer. I just, I, uh, you know, it was coming out at the time it had a mild interest. I liked Dave Stevens' artwork on the comic books, and I, I actually picked up, I think, one of the Pacific Presents that had the Rocketeer in it. So I'd read a little bit of that stuff, but something about the setting and just the look of it the fact that it was another Disney movie and I like Dick Tracy but I I forget Dick Tracy was an interesting experiment it wasn't like something that turned me into like a huge fan or anything and the Rocketeer did not have the same sort of like crazy uh, panel to live action conversion that Dick Tracy did certainly didn't have any of the actors in it and so I just was perfectly fine not seeing that movie for decades. Did you guys ever see the the Rocketeer?
2: I've never seen the Rocketeer Never
1: in my life
3: To some, it was the fulfillment of a dream. To others, it was an instrument of destruction. A creation that could change the course of history. It was stolen from my factory. Where's the package? This is the FBI! What do we tell the president? Tell me exactly why this merchandise is so important to the feds. It's a rocket. A rocket? Ow! What? What's the matter? I don't know. There's something under the seat. Oh, my. What do you got here? What are you supposed to do? A bomb or something? No. I wouldn't touch that if I were you. How do I look? Like a hood ornament. Stand clear. Are you trying to kill yourself? I like it. Oh, we got company. You steer, or I'll push. For what? I want that rocket, Eddie. Not next week, not tomorrow. Now. Keep your eyes open for this dame. Jenny's in trouble. <gasps> They're working for a Nazi agent. With an army equipped with these, you could rule the world. You touch one here on her head I swear <laughs> out shoot him we've got the girl the rocket will come to us I love her peeve does she know that she's gonna find out let him it hand them over the rockets the rocketeer go get him kid
0: And so I finally watched I it because that. of that comparisons. It's okay. I, the one thing that I think was really interesting about the movie is that virtually every character in the movie has purpose and agency. Like, even the very minor characters will, like, have thought processes and will do things that are, like, independent of where you would expect the story to go because they have their own motivations. And I really like that aspect of it. And the female lead uh, was given a fair amount to do while still ultimately still being a damsel in distress. Um, it was shot fairly well, but it was also extremely cool the special effects are really bad especially by today's standards and while the story's propulsive I, I, I did not like the lead actor's performance I, I didn't like a lot of the dialogue that he was given and um the, the arc of the story didn't leave me in a place that I was like these were normal people with normal concerns ultimately and I kind of longed for Steve Rogers type there was like getting involved with the fight against the Nazis because they're just a good person wanting to be involved in a good fight where the people in this movie were about their airplane gets wrecked and so they're trying to scramble to get the money to to, uh, recover from the the, the you know the, their bad fortune and shit, and so there's a mercenary quality to the most of the characters' motivations that I didn't find very appealing because I, I you know it's weird because you would think that a Disney movie would be more pure-hearted and simple, and it, it had that element to it, but there was that like you kind of in it for themselves quality to it that I didn't really care for, and also I thought some of the roles were miscast. So I would definitely say that the the first Avenger was a much better movie, and I would also say that it's clear why Marvel went to Joe Johnston. because he had managed to capture that sort of flair in the Rocketeer but they definitely improved upon that as well so I think there was a lot of people that had that whole Howard the Duck uh, thing going on where they saw the Rocketeer as a kid and they saw the similarities between the two movies although frankly while there are surface similarities they're different enough besides the the setting and everything to where you kind of have to reach to connect the two I think that without Joe Johnston being that clear connective tissue really just have the setting you know and I just feel like these were guys again with an axe grind. They liked the Rocketeer, and so they didn't like that they had seen a similar movie in the First Avenger, even though it really wasn't that similar. I'll yeah, I can see that.
2: Yeah, rocks, I've
1: never seen it, so I, I've never seen it. But I've heard the, the people, some the people who like Rocketeer, like stand for that movie. So I, I can get that. Look, if, if you you're pissed, the Rocketeer never got its due, and it's kind of a forgotten comic book film. Uh, and now Captain America comes out. You think it bites some of the key details, maybe some of the look, and everybody loves it. Yeah, okay, yeah. But that's that's like the de- definition of an axe Generally, though, it's a well-regarded film, Captain America.
0: I do think, though, that there is an element of retroactive appreciation because this movie was underperforming. You know, it—I think it did better than the Incredible Hulk. Maybe I'm not—I'm not 100% confident of that. Um, Obviously, Captain America wasn't as big a name as the Hulk when that movie came out, but given that Thor performed much better, uh, I think Thor made something like 50 million plus over what Captain America did, and it had come out first, so it—Thor really overshadowed. Captain America and there was I think it was kind of like what you're talking about with the, the people who like Rocketeer really stand for it I think there were a lot of people that stand for Captain America but like the general public wasn't won over yet I think that they needed Avengers and the building Marvel Cinematic Universe to go back and appreciate Cap where maybe they didn't feel so much the first time
1: yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the Marvel movie box office rankings, and it's, like, below X-Men Origins Wolverine. It's 37. So, like, X-Men Origins Wolverine's 36. Ant-Man. Ant-Man outperformed Captain America. Thor. Um, Dark World. Yeah, so it's pretty—I mean, Doctor Strange did double it up, but a good $60, $70 million more. Um, I'm trying to find more contemporary. Uh, Thor is the good comparison, right, because it came out uh, just before it. But, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, yeah, I, I see what you're saying dollars wise it's not there it, it's I, and i look i get it it's a little it, like okay i totally agree with you retro it's retroactive appreciation i think when you a lot of these movies are that way um where, where once you realize where it kind of fit in and where it got built up where it was used as a stepping stone to get somewhere larger when you go back and watch it over again it's like oh there was a payoff you know what i mean i i, I think even little things like red skull on Vermeer and stuff like that even little things like that make the movie better because then you know at the end when he's getting sucked in, of the Tesseract, you know it pays off eventually. And it freaked everybody. You remember that moment in the theater when they show up on Vormir and, and the Red Skulls there? And, or, or, uh, was it? No, no, he was there for, uh, uh Infinity War, right? With Gamora yeah. and Thanos. And you're like, holy shit, it's a payoff. So now, whenever I watch today in 2021, 10 years later, when I watch Captain America and he's getting sucked into the fucking Tesseract, I know he's getting, you know, abolished to Vormir for eternity. You know what I mean? It, it makes it cooler.
3: Like,
0: <laughs> well, there's a bad, line at the beginning of the movie, to where Johann Schmidt references, you know, Hitler off in the desert digging for trinkets, which is an obvious reference to Raiders of the Lost Ark, even though yep. timeline time, uh, time wise it doesn't work out because Raiders is set in the 30s and this is set in 43, but that's, you know, nitpicking. Um, there were a number of people who uh, also disparaged the movie by its uh, ties to Raiders of the Lost Ark and it, how the ending specifically was like Raiders did it better as shit. And uh, again, I, I really do think that they're, you're kind of going out of your way to just shit talk because if you can invoke the feeling of raiders of the lost ark especially this was at a time i I think this was a post kingdom of the crystal skull cinematic universe you know i think if you can halfway get back to an indiana jones place that should make people happy it should make give people cause to talk shit yeah
1: these are weird gripes (laughs) but again i think that's that's more axe grinding like hey you know i really like indiana jones everybody hated that last movie and then the whole franchise evaporated because it was so bad but uh uh well you better remember that my show's good too you better remember that my movie's good too Uh, you know it's come on people move on you got beat move on Indiana Jones fans you got beat okay your franchise is dead you know give it up Rocketeer fans it sucks sorry I'm sorry but
2: you're done you're done
1: you finished Rocketeer
2: they are coming out with another indie yeah good luck and
1: why are they doing that because they're trying to restart the shit and go off of uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe vibes that's all it is
0: no I think that they want to leave it on a better note hopefully although they've talked about doing a sequel to that sequel and it's like guys pace yourself you know Uh, I'm not make it across that particular finish line the way he's been going in recent years
1: we don't need to recap this movie right I don't think so
0: I, I don't know but what, I don't know about recapping but I, I think we probably have some pretty good notes but before we even talk about doing that okay, he specifically going. said that he had a rant and I want to make sure he gets this oh, rant no. out well, no, this
2: is a rant for something
0: else uh, oh not Captain America no
2: not Captain America okay <laughs>
0: All right, Um, I'll bring
2: it up at the end so you can tie it onto something else.
0: So, I I have an envelope full of handwritten notes, and uh, I believe that Mac also has plenty of notes as well. I do. So, I don't know, you know, uh, just to throw a couple things out there, I I did make a point of watching it on the Blu-ray. I tried to watch Cap on Disney Plus, and thanks to Odell Abner Dracula, by the way, uh, he had pointed out that there's a little spot you have to go into to see some of the extra features they have on the Disney Plus movies, and so I went there, and I Watched what special features they had uh, on on the, the web streaming, and they did have like a, a few different ones, and that was handy and all. But when you go back to the Blu-ray, especially, there are so many more special features that are not on Disney Plus that it you it's not a uh, you can't swap it out. If you don't have the Blu-ray, you're missing out on a bunch of stuff, and maybe some of that shit's on YouTube. But just the aggregation, just knowing where that it's all in one place, and you can go watch it along with the Marvel one-shot that's on that Blu-ray disc. Uh, I, I still recommend keeping a hold of your Blu-rays or at least some variation on that. I think mister Fixit Fix-It does Ultraviolet and stuff, right? You do your streaming
2: Voodoo. Yeah, it's voodoo.
0: Yeah. Yeah, um, But I do want but to say, still, too, that in
2: watching... Marvel movies I do keep on Blu-ray, though.
0: Yeah. I, I want to say that uh, while watching it on Blu-ray, I really appreciated that you had a Captain America shield loading screen and that the Progress Bar had shields on either end of it. Just little things like that that I miss with uh, physical media.
1: I'm sorry, what is a loading screen? <laughs> <laughs> what, what is a mi- What's a menu? Mit- you click
0: you? on a button on your streaming platform and it does the little circle thing that looks like a recycling symbol.
1: Oh, and that's when I yell at Comcast?
0: Right, exactly. Uh, instead, I gotcha, you could I gotcha, yell gotcha. at the Blu-ray manufacturer. Yell at Sony. Uh, ah, uh, I,
1: gotcha, I gotcha. Taking me way back.
0: <laughs> okay, so, uh, and again, you have your notes too, so uh, do you have like chronological notes, or how does yours go?
1: Yeah, they go chronological, just uh, things I noticed in the movie that I thought were cool, okay. basically.
0: So, I don't know, we, maybe we can go back and forth on these. Uh, so, okay. the, the oh, oh, one thing I need to cop to, too, is that we, uh, we were talking in a previous podcast about hating trailers, uh, Marvel trailers specifically specifically and I, I i hadn't gone back and reread them or anything but i, I remember posting multiple reviews of the trailers captain america because i was that passionate about it and i was trying to see why i've uh, re the trailer on disney plus in particular i wanted to put myself back in the headspace
3: rogers steven uh, just give me a chance sorry son i'm saving your life said that wars are fought with weapons, but they are won by men. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I could do this all day. Our goal is to create the greatest army in history. I should be going with you. Look, I know you don't think I can do this. This isn't a back alley it's war. But every army begins with one man. Five tries in five different cities. I can offer you a chance. He will be the first in a new breed of super soldiers. Because the weakness was the value of strength. It was the value of power. That wasn't so bad. That was penicillin. Kind of we are going to win this war because we have the best men. Now Mr. Stark. Nay, we personally, escort Adolf Hitler to the gates of hell.
0: while watching this trailer today especially having already seen the movie I didn't see a lot objectionable at the time a lot of my problem was that you had some of the worst action shots of Captain America particularly the one where he's grabbing the chain and swinging over the people the shot where they burst through the wall and he's shooting a gun and it gave the distinct impression that he was probably going to spend a lot of the movie carrying the shields or an obligatory uh, attachment while running around shooting stuff instead but also the action choreography on both those sequences really sucked. they also spent a lot of time Showing us Steve in the Vita ray chamber, which in, in short doses looks pretty cheesy, particularly because they kept showing the shot of Chris Evans blinking hard as the lights hitting him, and they also kept showing the scene of Peggy Carter shooting at the shield, which kind of made Cap look like a puss. So uh, there, I know in retrospect that I was just being hypercritical and I was extremely concerned about the representation of Captain America in those trailers and just super duper axe Nick picking just like those guys were in their reviews. I'm just really glad that the movie, uh, assuaged my fears and gave us a, a fine cinematic Captain America that I could be proud of, uh, and that holds its own against any of the other, mar- uh, superhero movies out there. Oh,
1: well, I remember we were freaking out over the Chris Evans casting. We were like,
0: who? Who? Chris, who? Yeah, not as much He's as I was blonde. freaking out over Matthew McConaughey. I was super pissed off at that suggestion yeah. for a while there. And you remember, too, uh, they, they'd also talked about Will Smith and John Krasinski. And not that long ago, somebody put out a deep fake where they put John Krasinski's, a face over Chris Evans's and fuck, I'm glad that shit didn't happen because he looked so damn goofy trying to be Captain America. I just, at the time he was mentioned, especially given the comp, the competition, I was better with Krasinski than anybody else, but I think actually seen it manifest through modern digital wizardry. Man, that was a bullet dodge.
2: Well, I think actually, I remember not too long ago, I saw an interview with him where he talked about going in for to play cap and that they were kind of dressing him in the, in the, uh, the costume or the, the uniform and that he saw Chris Evans in the uniform. And he was like, Oh yeah, no, it's you know because apparently they're friends. Like I want to say I saw it on some kind of like a retrospective, kind of like what we're doing, but they were doing it on on his movies and his 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 you know career. Um, I don't know if you could find it, but it was it was interesting because he talked about going in and how him and Chris Evans were like the two finalists okay. for Cats.
1: I will say I would watch a whole movie if they deep faked uh John Krasinski on Chris Evans and Jenna Fisher on Agent Carter. I would watch that whole thing. She I was Pam. Like the pa- she was Pam from the well. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Well, I didn't say for you. I said for me. So whatever. Oh, no.
0: Oh, no, no. Just I'll, I'm going to sit away for just a minute. I'll be right back. He
2: needs to put one of those. Uh, Let's all go to the lobby. So
1: <laughs> Let's all go to the shitter. Let's all go, <laughs> Let's to, the all go,
2: the go to the shitter. Let's all go to the shitter. And white bar ass one time.
1: And if they dude, what if they did Rain and Wilson as the Red Skull? I would watch that deepfake. Really? You have, to, you have Dwight as, uh, as, yeah, dude. Dwight as the Red Skull and then uh, Jim and Pam. It'd
2: be great. Well, you are saying you're looking for stuff to do right now. I'm just saying.
1: <laughs> I'll get to work on it.
2: Now, what's a deep fake? No, I'm just, Let me Google that. I've seen some pretty good ones. Yeah, they're getting uh, scary good. Yeah, like in-the-world scary good. All right, well, I'll be back in a second, too. All right. Okay, I'm back. Uh, he just stepped out for a minute.
0: Oh, he did, too? Yeah. Okay, so uh, do, you, do you want to do your rant in case you, so we don't forget? Sure.
2: Uh, it, it's a simple, quick rant, and I'm sure you can throw it somewhere else. I'm back. Am I the only one here?
0: Well, Fixer was about to do a rant, but I think he got rant blocked.
1: Can can we save his rant for the crew show I want to do, or we all just talk about random shit?
0: Okay. Well, I I think that if he doesn't get the rant out during this recording session, he's going to forget.
2: I can hold
0: on to it. We'll we'll see where we're at. Okay. So going into the theater, watch the movie. I I know that I felt apprehension at the beginning of the film because the whole thing with the snowstorm, I I didn't think it looked that great. And listening to the commentary track, it's, it's done on a soundstage. So I I wasn't wild about how it looked and how basic it looked. And what struck me this time watching it, especially because I'm concurrently doing an Aliens podcast, is it's basically the same opening as Aliens, where you've got these workers who come across this vessel that's in a place where it's not supposed to be. Uh, They use a laser to to, uh, burn their way into the vessel. They go inside and they find somebody in suspended animation inside. Uh, They even play some horror notes that are reminiscent of Aliens when the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents are going into the aircraft and find Captain America's S.H.I.E.L.D so just a weird parallel there I'm never gonna be able to entirely get over Cap not I can I, I get past him not being frozen a block of ice but there's something about him still being in a ship and just like sitting there and freezing I guess he was probably knocked out whatever but it just not having him get thought out and immediately start having a wrestle with the Avengers I know you probably can't even do that in cinema although they somewhat did it to some degree when Thor was found by the Guardians in one of the Infinity movies um, but I'm always it, it, it's never going to quite feel right to me that Cap doesn't get up and start fighting the Avengers as part of his origin story
2: i just i just had a mental image of encino man where they're unfreezing brendan fraser's caveman and it seems like that's what you wanted
0: i'm just a caveman fighting for the american way
2: <laughs> oh, yeah and now let's deep fake that now we got to deep
1: fake chris <laughs> evans face on brendan fraser and encino man so we can wheeze the juice <laughs> We juice. Frank. Frank, you, you big Encino man guy?
0: No, I've never actually seen it. You,
1: we oh, need to do what? a whole, dude, we got to do a whole like review of the Polyshore cinematic universe.
0: I'm a yes. big Brendan Fraser fan. So I could pre talk into that. So, so, uh, son-in-law Encino
1: man. Uh, what's the, the, in the, in the army, 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 army now. now, fantastic cinematic universe. Uh,
0: I don't know that I've ever watched a Polyshore Shore movie from obviously, beginning obviously, to end. But, I don't think I've ever seen a Polyshore Shore movie from beginning to end. This is horrible news.
2: <laughs> I'm not terrible. sure why I have, but I have, I'm not sure why, uh,
1: I, I can tell you why. They were unbelievably rerun on network uh, slash cable television. Like non, st- I think TNT had the rights to that cinematic universe and just played them <laughs> over and over and over. Dude, they would do the whole, I swear to God, son- especially Son-in-Law and In the Army Now. Those movies were played like incessantly like all the time. I, I watched that
2: because I like I love the fact you keep calling it a cinematic universe. It's the, the, po- the Polyshore Shore cinematic no, no, no. universe. It's, it's, a, a, it's in the Juice universe.
1: It's the P.S.C.U. Pauly Shore cinematic universe uh
2: okay hello yeah still here good stop.
1: holy lord all right everybody some weird silences in this one <laughs> um, okay so uh yeah you have an axe to grind because you like aliens and feel like aliens getting overshadowed by Marvel <laughs> <laughs> no
0: no no yeah, no definitely not done. that like it's, it's that I, I want cap's origin it's, it's not cap's origin you know it's, it's second origin it's silver age origin you're not seeing him you know come out of the ice the way he, he did in the, the 60s so uh, there's gonna be a lot of me being the superhero comic book guy a- a- in these little nitpicks
1: yeah, i I'd rather him just be a founding Avenger. I, like, I think it works better that way. Anyway, he's the first Avenger, so he's the founding Avenger. I like because um, then you'd have to have him come out after Phase One, after the Avengers are put together. Shit doesn't make any sense, dude. Come on, man. Come on, can't happen. um So yeah, uh after that scene, what we go to? uh We go to Tons Tonsberg. Is it Tonsberg, Norway?
0: So, somewhere in Europe, yeah. And there's a deleted scene where you get to see the gigantic super tank uh, plow through chunks of this town. But uh, I think it works better where the people are running from it. They get to the location that this tank is targeting and they get in there first and they're trying to warn the dude from Hogwarts, the groundskeeper guy, that, hey, something's coming. And he's like, people have tried to come here for centuries. We'll be fine. And then the tank blasts through the shit. I think it works a lot better.
1: Well, it's not just some random shit in Europe. Tonsberg ends up being where the Asgard settle, Asgardians settle after uh, Asgard's blown up.
0: Ah, I was not aware of that because that. I don't care about that. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. yes. You should care about <laughs> that because I that's where that's, very cool. that's where the Tesseract was. It's Yggdrasil is where it's in, you know, obviously this is a uh, Norse's shit yes. so that's well, where the uh, Asgardians
0: settle and not only is it great because you've got the whole Raiders of the Lost Ark connection there but also the fact is is Roy Thomas it both Marvel and DC made such a big deal about uh, Adolf Hitler and the, the Germans in general not the Germans but the Nazis in general fixation on mythology and the supernatural uh, pretty much the uh, no prize for why the Justice Society of America didn't win World War II is because Hitler had the Spear of destiny they were supposed to have Pierce Jesus Christ's side on the cross and because that has mystical power it prevents the heroes from going to stop uh, Hitler so that sort of thing is such a huge part of both DC and Marvel you know in Marvel you had the invaders and at one point Thor actually worked with the Nazis because they didn't know any better and there's just all this shit that ties Hitler with the Norse mythology specifically that it it, it, there's all these people bitching in these reviews about how you're tying Captain America to Thor but the fact is that was always the case or at least it's been the case since at least the 70s and you're just ignorant of those connections just like you're ignorant of the fact that in building a universe guess what you're gonna have to connect different movies because that's kind of the point of a connected universe
1: so stupid again and again uh, all of the shit just goes into how unbelievable this cinematic universe is and how many how much shit they had to fight against that had never been done before yeah but
0: the people just whatever. couldn't uh, they they didn't understand the vision and so they just were bitching about it constantly
1: yeah that's why like like we said earlier I'd love for that two to go back and rewatch the movie and rewrite his dumb comment his dumb uh, review but he wouldn't do that so unless he could wash it on 35 millimeter in his local art house anyway um, okay so yeah let's see. we don't I want to, I'm avoiding recapping I'm avoiding recapping um, what do you got after that uh, Diablo Frank uh, complaining this movie takes place in
0: 1943 when one of the points of Captain America was that he was in the fight before the US was uh, I it just I don't I understand they're trying to compress <laughs> the timeline they want a Captain America to be as young as possible when he gets to the modern times but in doing that they rob him of being part of the entire war effort and you're sitting here wondering where not just Steve but where was Bucky throughout World War II that he's only getting enlisted in like 1943 just again super nerdy nitpick
1: yeah but the, but I I think it, I think him going and being rejected over and over and over again works much more better
0: well, better for Steve not so much for Bucky but I do yeah sure but who cares about fucking Bucky well and actually that's the thing is people do care about Bucky and that's that's an instance where I think that the movie works really well I am not I've, I've hardly ever read any golden age Captain America stories. I've read a handful, but that was not my bag. Marvel Golden Age comics in general really aren't my bag. Same with DC for the most part. Um, I start with Captain America in the Silver Age. When I got the Sentinel of Liberty trade paperback uh, that came out in the late 70s, they didn't show you the World War, the World war II era stories. They showed you Marvel's 1960s version of those stories. And so they did have Bucky in those early tales, but from the very beginning, I was trained that Bucky was the guy who was the kid sidekick of Captain America during the war. Bucky Bucky dies, Cap lives, and it, Cap is going on mourning Bucky, having his own adventures. And so Bucky was always this poor man's Robin. And it was obviously he was a big Robin knockoff and it never made a lick of sense for him to have anything to do with Captain America in, in the midst of a fucking war. Um, it, it just screws up the character and where with Batman, you have to go out of your way to explain why Robin exists because Robin is such an archetypal character. He's one of the most important superheroes ever created. And so you have to figure out how to make that work. That wasn't the case with Bucky. And so as much as I hate the concept of the Winter Soldier in comics because one of the, the only rules that anybody ever followed in comics for decades was that Bucky stays dead and Ed Brubaker brought the motherfucker back. And it, it it just galls me in the comic books, but in the movies it makes perfect sense because the character in the movies isn't really Bucky. It's the uh, gay buddy of his that J.M. DeMatteis came up with in the 80s um, that uh, is, was like the protector of Steve. The Steve was the, the scrawny little runt, and so there was another guy who was there to kind of watch out for him and be sort of a big brother other to him and everything like that especially because he had essentially absentee parents and so they gave Bucky that story and then when they reunite later in the movie Bucky isn't his kid partner he is his, his, his just a partner he just one of the things that's distinct and unique about Captain America within all of superhero comic books is Cap not only is he a team player in the midst of a team like the Avengers but he's a guy who despite his incredible abilities always recognizes that he could do better with somebody else watching his back he's a guy who knows the value of having partners and having support networks and shit. He almost always has some kind of partner in his adventures. And so it makes perfect sense that in like in this movie, he ends up working with the Howling Commandos. But as a part of that group is Bucky Barnes, who is his sniper, who does a lot of that black ops type stuff that uh, Brubaker attributed to Bucky in the comics. He's the guy who's got the sniper rifle. He's the guy who's going to go for the kill shot where Cap's going to try to save as many people as he can. He's the one who will get a little bit dirtier than Cap is willing to. And so that perfectly compliments Cap in this movie in the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe it just works and it's an instance where the Cinematic Universe actually improves upon the comic books.
1: I agree. I agree. I think that's good. I think that's an interesting way to look at it too how Bucky does kind of do the dirty work for him. Uh, yeah, never once thought he's, about that. Yeah, once he's enlisted as a Howling Commando. Hello? Hello.
0: Yeah, we're, we're continuing to have the long pauses so I'll just keep jumping in until somebody uh, stops oh, okay. me. Since we're referencing Cap's early life too one thing that does bug me a little bit about the movie is to make a point the only reference they make to his parents which is a godsend because it again if you want to see a contrast look at Bruce Wayne constantly agonizing over his parents into middle age and then Cap is literally a line what happened to his parents his dad was exposed to mustard gas and died so obviously he was a soldier and his mom was a nurse in a TV ward until she herself got TV and died from it and so they give you they absolutely underline that Cap's from a long line of people who lay down their lives for other people who you know are always working toward the greater good but in the comics his dad was a drunkard and uh, his mom was just sort of a housewife and, and was the one who had to kind of carry the entire household because of her drunkard husband during the depression uh, that was another day in Tim thing I think probably um, and I, I do like that they've got that darker shading with Cap in, in the comics plus I can relate to that a little bit more than I can to somebody who's like this you know entire uh, uh, family line of heroes um, but I do like that his parents really don't matter within the, the confines of the stories that are being told about him both in the comics and in the movies really so many heroes are defined by their parents and I feel like that that's a, a childlike mentality and given that so many superhero comics were created for children, that makes sense. But as an adult, it's refreshing to have a hero who isn't tied up in all these parental issues like so many other characters.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, even, you mean look at Tony Stark, you look at Thor, right? <laughs> I mean, these guys all have family stuff and Cap really does kind of steer clear of that. Now, he, he gets the Bucky thing, but uh, it, you're right. That is, it's, it is a different take. It is a different take. <laughs> I,
0: I dug that they got the synthetic man into the Stark Expo, but I, I'm I'm never going to be able to let Go of wanting to see an invader's feature of some kind. Take out, take but I, huh? I thought
2: that was the human torch.
0: Yeah, the synthetic man is the human torch. That's the the whole oh, thing okay, is okay. because the original human torch was an android created by, I think, yeah, Professor Morton. And so I'm not gonna ever let go of wanting to see the invaders in World War II. I want to see the human torch. I want to see Submariner. Uh one of the Howling Commandos, Farnsworth, is actually supposed to become Union Jack uh, based on these character in the comic books. So I want to see Union Jack having adventures in the 50s, just some kind of reference to that, please. But I know that it's like when they had the Infinity Gauntlet in Odin's uh, trophy room. It's one of those things they've stuck into one of the early movies that they've completely forgotten about, or will never reference, or will no prize away, or what have you. But I still burn, no pun intended, to see something done with that uh, Easter egg.
1: Yeah, they just cram so many Easter eggs, you just can't follow up on all of them, unfortunately. But that is definitely a cool one.
0: We talked a lot about how I feel, and I don't think I'm entirely alone in this. That Dominic Cooper just ruined the character of Justy Custer. In the preacher adaptation, but I have to say, he is an extraordinary Howard Stark. He is so good and so perfectly cast. I can't imagine anybody else in the role of the young version of Howard Stark. I still love, you know, uh, Rod- Roger Spaulding in the as the older version, but as the young cocky poon hound, uh definitely his son's father I- I of the nineteen forties. I think Dominic Cooper is just excellent as Howard Stark. Totally I like agree. The
2: and- fact that he looks so much like Howard Hughes is amazing.
1: Well, that I-, I like the way that he's like. Strong- straight Up in the 40s, too. <laughs> like, like he, so uh, there are a couple characters in here where they're kind of just sort of timeless. They can kind of be in any era. Uh, whereas he has that sort of uh malt shop, uh, 40s vibe. I don't know what it is about it, but yeah, but the I totally agree.
2: Mustache, just even his swagger, he just, yeah, he feels like from that time era.
1: And it's another thing this movie sneakily does well is it, you know, it's 40s, you're in the 40s. Th- this isn't some BS where they're walking around like regular stores and they put a couple classic cars in the background. Like, when he's running around, uh, I mean, that's later. A little later on the film but um i feel like at the stark expo it all feels very uh dated uh all the war scenes i thought they did a good job and then when he's running around through brooklyn or wherever he's running whenever he's first turned to captain america all that stuff they do they do a sneaky good job of making you that you don't ever forget this is a period piece
0: yeah i, I dig that it was so perfect in the time too that you have iron man 2 come out whereas the stark expo and you see tony doing his thing and bringing it back though that had been neglected since the 1960s and this I guess would be like the first Arc Expo and it still has that same vibe but of course tailored to the 1940s and you know the fact that he actually kisses one of his dancers on the lift was just something Tony I don't think tried in Iron Man 2 and that you're seeing him do the transistorized uh, car where it's levitating briefly which we'll eventually see uh, in S.H.I.E.L.D. where um, uh, Lola uh, Phil Coulson's car can literally fly like this one is supposed to do uh, like Nick Fury's yeah. car flew back in the 1960s he's trying to do it in the 40s and he can't quite pull it off but it's still amazing because nobody would ever done anything like that you can still see that he's on the cutting edge but also you just can't do the superhero shit that we're going to get to see later on but you could see the baby steps it builds towards that
1: yeah I think it was a good touch that it failed uh, I mean I think that they could have easily just had it where he's like see you later and then he flew off in the car you'd be like oh great I think he, I, I thought it was a good little uh, slapstick moment where it failed and he said well I didn't say it was right said, I said it was uh, a prototype or something like that he, he makes some little quip there
0: but I, I think Iron Man 2 especially gets a lot of shit for being poorly played planned out and, and haphazard but I love that because you've got that parallel and because these movies weren't quite back to back you had I think Thor between them Um, but to see that that that's kind of a literary device to to, to show that uh, back and forth in time and to show that comparison between the two and I don't think anybody ever really gives it credit for doing that you know it, I thought it was very clever Uh, I, but I also have to agree that I, I, you know I had my issues with the trailer at the time but watching it then and today I love that it, it is absolutely a period piece that it completely commits to that and it's one of the things that's so infuriating about a movie like Captain Marvel to where it has a 90s setting and aside from the fucking blockbuster and a soundtrack there's literally nothing in that movie that tells you that you're there any time frame besides the current day where this movie does nothing but remind you with all of its dials and levers and and knobs and everything else that this is super analog it's absolutely the 1940s and that's part of the fun of it it's so great to see that retro futurism it's so great to see that this is the top of the line technology how cool is it like, I, you guys have probably had the kind of clocks that had the placards. Kids, there was a time when a time clock would have little spokes on it, and there were plastic placards They would fall one after another, minute by minute, to show you the passage of time. And they had those same placards for a bomb in this movie. And for the 1940s, this was absolutely cutting edge. Those didn't come out into the general public until, like, the 60s or 70s. And now that's an absolutely antiquated technology. But it's so cool to see the future of the 1940s that doesn't even compare to the 1960s but uh let you know that these guys were on the cutting edge of their time and it's fun to see the limitations of that contemporaneous technology while also them you know obviously pushing towards the outer limits of it
1: yeah they, they could have easily just put like a little digital countdown down there too uh easily and they they, they went into, they got the detail right
0: and i, so I know I it's, w- it's somewhat w- fetishistic oh sorry go ahead
2: Mr. Fixit, go ahead. Now, go
0: ahead. I know it's, it's a... somewhat fetishistic, but there's something about seeing things like that. It makes the movie more tactile for you. It 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 gives you that memberberry, You know, it, it's it, it, there's a lot of unreality in this movie, and to see that sort of antiquated technology at play, it puts you in a place. And and especially for people who experienced that type of technology growing up, you you get. I, I wasn't around for the 1940s, but I still have this nostalgia because I remember that more tactile world that we lived. in in those times and Captain America does a great job of recalling that
1: totally agree Um, the Stark Expo is also where we Steve finally successfully enlists um, and there's also the line where uh, was it Bucky tells Steve don't do anything stupid till I get back and Steve tells him you're taking all the stupid with you Uh, and that's the same line they reverse in Endgame whenever Steve leaves to go return all the uh, items from the different time streams he and Bucky have that exchange another I love these I love the little threads man I love it I do did not know that. Yeah, that's what he tells him before he gets on the, the quantum platform. He says, Don't, but, Steve says, don't do anything stupid till I get back. And Bucky tells him, uh, You're taking all the stupid with you.
2: Yeah, I, I remember that part, but yeah. I
1: realized they revisited
2: it later. Hey, Frank, didn't you tell us like they kind of almost land these movies like years and years in advance, tech wise? And-
0: uh, well, we, we were looking at how they're able to do such extraordinary special effects and how poorly, particularly the DCU, looks when compared to Marvel's special effects. And a lot of it has to do with. The fact that they are doing the previs and some of the CGI before they've even necessarily got a director on the movies. Uh, th- like if you watch some of the special features related to the Black Widow movie, one of the directors that they were trying to sign on decided to pass because they were. She was asking about the action sequences, and Marvel told her, "Don't worry about it. We've already got those mapped out. We're already CGIing that stuff. You know, we'll, we'll take care of that. You just deal with the other stuff." And she wasn't interested in doing that kind of thing. And I don't think it was as much the case in the early Marvel movies, but certainly at this point, what's going to happen is they've already done a ton of the CGI work before a lot of other elements are in place. They probably have a script, but like often the directors or some maybe even the actors aren't even in place before they're already working on the CGI. So, yeah, a lot of that stuff will be planned years in advance, and I'm sure that helps with the connectivity.
2: So, this maybe was along the lines of the last movies where there was kind of this a little bit more freedom to go off script or oh, certainly, create... yeah.
0: yeah, absolutely. And, and my understanding too is, yeah, you, you particularly like the first two Iron Man movies, those are largely improvised, and I think think that perhaps there was so much improvisation especially in Iron Man 2 that Marvel maybe clamped down on that as as time went by because they wanted to have a firmer control of the final product than they had with particularly Iron Man, too. So, well, since you're
1: talking about special effects, can we talk about uh, Skinny Cap? How do we feel about Skinny Cap? Does it hold up after 10 years, or is it a little I dodgier than I you remember? I watched this morning. I thought it was amazing. I think it's pretty convincing. I think sometimes his sort of chin-neck area looks a little weird, Uh, but I think after a little bit, I'm kind of bought in, and I kind of forget that the dude's actually a goddamn behemoth. Um, uh, I don't know. I Again, I stand for these movies sometimes, but uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty, and I don't ever remember hearing anybody complain about that, so, again, for being a decade old, I think it looks pretty good for being such a radical. I mean, you know what I mean? Even when he's got his shirt off and stuff, and he's just like, he's so damn skinny, Uh, it all looks okay to me. I, I don't know what it is. I, I, it never distracted or bothered
0: me. They mentioned in the commentary track, it was actually easier to do the shirt off. When the shirt's on you're having to deal with all the wrinkles and stuff, it's harder to make that not look rubbery. So, shirt off is actually easier. Um, There's mm. actually a special feature on the disc where they go into all the details of how they did that, and one of the things that they are self-congratulatory about is they used so many different techniques to make that happen that you you are it's difficult for you to figure out how they're doing it because they're using so many different tricks that you don't know what they're doing from scene to scene now what Mm. I will say is at the time the movie came out it was just amazing and we've never seen anything like it really we've not seen anything like it since watching it 10 years later I can still I can see some of the scenes a little bit more and there is that sort of that weirdness that you would get from like some of the commercials that do stuff like that nowadays but I still think it's a stunning effect and I do think that whether it's the the effects work or the performances you, you unless you're actively looking for the seams, you're not going to see them you have to actually be trying to find a flaw in what you're looking at to see a flaw because you get caught up in the story and you forget to look for those details because in your mind Steve Rogers is 5 foot 6 or whatever and 98 pounds and you just forget that anybody's doing any CGI stuff but it's cool because one thing they did is they got an emaciated British fellow and what he would do is he'd watch they wanted to keep Chris Evans performance Uh, and I I think this is hugely important and I don't think Chris Evans gets enough credit even for myself watching some of the special feature and stuff reminded me of just how much work he put in to make Steve Rogers happen. So much of the performance in, is, is in his physical characteristics and in his choices that the British guy would watch Chris Evans' Bohemoth go through the motions and then he would go and mimic what Chris Evans did. He would basically try to recite the performance back and, and they would use elements from both performances but the emaciated guy wasn't emaciated enough so they'd go in there and shrink him even further uh, to make him small enough to fit. But stuff like that that, that that's a level of commitment that, I, I don't think you have in a lot of movies these days I don't think Marvel would have the time to do something like that today I don't think they would necessarily try it I think they would probably just do their little deep fake shit and be done with it Um but they were so committed to getting Steve Rogers right in this first movie that they went through all that trouble and it works fantastically and it's amazing to me how much of this movie is devoted think about the, like a year I think the same year this came out Green Lantern came out where they make uh, Ryan Reynolds run around in his completely CGI costume which looks pretty shitty and the movie in general looks really shitty think about how much of the budget just had to be committed to showing skinny tiny Steve Rogers how much work that took and the craftsmanship that went into that and how completely they sell that it's absolutely amazing I think that that is a cinematic achievement I think Joe Wall should have given at least one more star just based on that technology alone
1: agreed I mean like oh, you know, yeah, when, when he's when he's running in boot camp and shit he doesn't look like some wiry I am legend zombie right like and they totally could have just been like CGI it like just put Chris Evans face on it CGI it and it, it would look like garbage. Instead, it's just, I think you just kind of forget about it. Like I said, even every now and then, it may kind of catch your eye and be like, oh, yeah, that dude's actually like 6'2, you know, 235 pounds or whatever. Uh, but for the most part, you just forget about it. And it's just another character in the movie, which I think could have been a huge misstep. And
0: one of the things that
2: blew me away was whenever he's actually running in the military uniform when they're doing the whole flag thing, I I forgot that's not him. That's not Chris Evans underneath that helmet. Like he, it's, it's lined up perfectly.
1: Yeah, yeah. The, the way they transitioned. It's Yeah, he's never, like, giant and then shrinks and then giant
2: and then shrinks. It stays yeah, consistent they, they the whole time. Consent, yeah, and I, I really appreciate I think that's what keeps you locked into the moment with the film.
1: Yeah, the like, they, don't, they, they didn't film Chris Evans from, like, the chest up, and he's, like, yoked. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you can still yeah. see his shoulders are, like, four <laughs> feet across, and then they cut back to the skinny guy for a pull-away shot. Like, they didn't cheap out on any of that stuff.
0: Yeah, there's no Matt Salinger running around trying to limp or anything, too, so that's a, that's a big plus. Uh, one thing I get, too, though, is Chris Evans not only was he a great Captain America but he was also a really great Johnny Storm and he was already in pretty damn good shape when he did the Fantastic Four movies what's weird to me is it's the same actor and in both roles he's built but I think they actually go in there with the makeup and they they make his face look different as Steve Rogers than as uh, Johnny Storm part of it might have just been age and also he's much bigger even though he's really well built in the the Fantastic Four movies he's much bigger in the Cap movies Um, but his face looks different it's more angular it's his nose is more it's bigger and it's more prominent um he, his facial features look different and, and i'm sure part of that was him when they were doing the skinny steve rogers but there's a certain consistency of the way his makeup is done even when he's a larger fellow to where he looks like a, to diff, a different person like I, I even though they're the same actor I wouldn't necessarily think that johnny storm and steve rogers are the same guy which is amazing in itself
2: but just just to uh praise him on his acting i mean johnny i, I until you just brought it i forgot he was johnny storm and Johnny Storm was the best part of those Fantastic Four movies and he had that cockiness and stuff and I'm like holy shit that's right he was Johnny Storm and he, his smile his attitude just the way he portrayed himself played perfect to that so when he played Cat just man he went completely 360 so alright forget about that yeah I, he,
0: he right, suddenly had that 180, Gary 180. Cooper stoicism <laughs> I was
1: like that? hold on wait but please let Mr. Fixit correct the number of degrees that he went go ahead Mr. Yes,
2: Fixit I, I said 180
1: complete 180 if he did a complete 360 he would have <laughs> just <laughs> I'm glad we got that settled everybody he just close your fucking tweet <laughs> <laughs> or whatever you're about to send continue the, yeah. frame.
0: the whole Gary Cooper thing the whole thing where he's just like oh, completely on the level there's no almost no snark he occasionally will let off a little witticism but it's almost like Steve's trying to like be a Bucky you know it's like Steve's natural default mode is just being upright and cool and and caring and just no snark whatsoever and yeah it's a completely different character and a completely different performance and again Evan just doesn't give enough credit for having that reign because it would have been so easy for somebody to play steve Rad- rogers as a total stiff just like you know or a boob or what have you and the fact that he can be such a square and still be so appealing i don't know if there's a lot of other actors that could have pulled that off and and he's such a great counterpoint to um tony stark and it's great because this movie gives you a, a prelude to that because you're seeing howard stark and steve rogers uh, uh they're not in an adversarial role for the most part there's definitely howard throws some shade his way in the early parts but pre- Pretty quickly, it seems like Howard won over, especially by the time that Steve comes back with, from the rescue mission. And so from then on, they're just two people with different attitudes and different prerogatives who work really well together. And it's, it definitely prefaces what you're going to see with the son uh, and, and Steve going forward. It, it, this guy's smug and he's, a, he's a he's kind of a bit of a jerk and he's a womanizer and all this other kind of shit. These are two totally different guys, but between them, they form the axis of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The whole earth pivots on these two extremes of personality.
1: Yeah and i think uh the way the movie ends with howard you know he finds the tesseract and they're like all right we're ready to go back and he's like no we're gonna keep looking like we're gonna keep looking for steve i think that that also feeds into you know how tony you know obviously tony probably had to hear about cap his whole life growing up too and then he finally shows up and he's like trying to upstage him uh because howard truly by the end of that movie was a cap guy right uh it, it well, and if anything for uh um for peggy he was he was trying to find him too so uh again it, it all it all ties together everybody
0: well i think you make a good point, too, is that I think that the the death of Steve Rogers in the eyes of Howard Stark puts Howard Stark on tra- trajectory from being his young, assholy self to being a more upright, moral guy. And so by the time uh, John Slattery is playing the role, he has has completed that arc, and he's sort of a Steve Rogers by that point. And so not only is Tony rebelling against the mythifi- mythical version of Cap that's been put into his mind by his dad, but I think to some degree he's rebelling against his dad because those elements that Howard Stark adopted were already present in Steve Rogers.
2: Yep, yep, totally agree. I totally agree. Ah, wow, mind blown. I'd never thought about that. Okay, so
1: from here we get, uh, okay, so Cap gets accepted in the Super Soldier program. Um. Well, wait, I think we have to talk about Erskine. Okay, yeah, let's talk about Erskine.
0: Okay, so, uh, let's talk about
1: him. Let's talk about him. No, you talk about him.
0: Because I haven't talked enough so far? I thought he was good.
1: I don't know. I'm gonna say a lot of complimentary things. I thought he was fine. I mean, he, he's, uh, not really in the movie that much, uh, but to just play, a random German scientist, I think he's. He's fine. Uh, I, I like his little pep talks with Steve. I like uh, right before the uh, the night of the Super Soldier Serum treatment slash Vitarae treatment. He, uh, drink? You know, when he's giving him the drink. He's like, yeah. oh wait, what, you, what am I doing? And he takes it away from him and he's all like, yeah, I guess we'll save it for later. He's like, save it for later? No, I don't have a procedure tomorrow. I'm drinking this now. <laughs> like, uh, hey, I'm, a big
2: to- fan. I'm a big Tucci fan, so anything he's in, I usually enjoy so.
0: And in the commentary track, they talk about Stanley Tucci being a national treasure and that everything improves automatically once you put the Tucci in there. And I, I, you know, he doesn't quite have the mustache in the comics. I kid. Uh, but I have to agree. I think he is so excellent as, er- as Erskine. And I, I think it was one of the pitch meetings where they were uh, comparing how, you know, Tony Stark had uh, Jensen as his uh, older mentor who helps him to transform from Tony to Iron Man. And they're making fun of how And then Captain America has his older mentor, Erskine, to transform into the super soldier and shit. No, no flaws on Jensen. No, no flaws on him or anything else. But I think Erskine is so good in his few sets scenes and he, he's such a great hype man. He is telling the audience how they're supposed to feel about Steve Rogers. If the performance by Evans wasn't getting it across Tucci as Erskine was going to make sure you knew that this was a good man and that speech especially that is that's right up there with uh, Glenn Ford and the first Superman talking about how I don't think you're put on this earth to play football you know that's one of those speeches you know uh, the, the power and responsibility speech of uh, Spider-Man uh, Ben Parker uh, that's one of those speeches that you need to have in a superhero movie because p- part of the purpose of superhero movies, besides being these aggressive male power fantasies, is they are supposed to steal morals. They are supposed to be serving as role models. Captain America isn't supposed to have an edge because he's a guy who you're supposed to aspire to be. None of us can ever get that to that place, but a child watching this movie should hear that speech and at least try to be the best person they could based on that speech. I think that is such a valuable moment. That's, that's the gospel according to Captain America. America right there you have to have that moment or these movies are just you know fucking bullshit blank fest it's just a bu- an action movie what makes it a superhero movie what makes it proper for children what makes it culturally significant is the speech like that that tells people don't be a shit be a minch you know which is what that all that really comes down to but you need somebody to put it in those terms and to put it into context so the kid will fucking hear you tell them this is the kind of person you need to be this is the kind of motivations you should have you shouldn't wait for somebody to offer fucking parents to decide you're going to want to do some good in the world. So it's hugely important and Tucci fucking sells that shit. God, dude,
2: you got Tucci.
1: Oh, man. I. Uh, anytime we get a chance to shit on Batman in these episodes, I'm just all for it. Hey, did you guys know that Bruce Wayne's parents were murdered in front of him and that's why he became a, a good guy? Didn't know if you'd seen that, uh, but did pretty you, sure they showed it. you know, it
2: that, you know he took on a bat because he fell in a cave? In no persona. way, no way. Yeah. So apparently Cap fell on an American flag?
0: <laughs> well, he did knock down the Cap Lehigh flag, so maybe that's, you know, or- his or- origin I mean, story is actually. He just yeah, knocked on the flag yeah. And that's where it happened what uh,
1: Can we talk about Tommy Lee Jones now? Please Oh Fucking National Treasure <laughs> Another one dude, fuck, he so, dude He's so great in this movie I, Anytime dude. Tommy Lee Jones Just being a, a short talking asshole I'm just I'm down for it
2: Dude he's like The impediment of Americanism Like I think America I think Tommy Lee Jones Alright that's like our, interesting is, is he like our John Wayne? Like our generation's John Wayne? I think that's fair I, I think of like all the, I, can't, I, can't, I keep thinking of All the different quotes Like he's great in Men in Black He's great in The Fugitive uh, Fuck I love him in No Country for Old Men like dude he's like our generation's uh, John Wayne better but still.
0: yeah I, I don't think Tommy Jones is a raging racist so that's probably yeah. a huge plus in his favor I hope not yeah a, so uh, it. Uh, we don't talk about We I don't know if we've ever talked about this in the podcast or anything but uh, I go way back with Tommy Lee Jones uh, he's a Texan and so uh, he was with Sissy Spacek in Badlands back in the 70s my mom had a crush on him so I grew up watching Tommy Lee Jones movies and uh, so I'm a uh, you know that, just like with Sam Elliott there was that second hand appreciation I don't want to you know Hop on his dick or anything, but I'm a big fan of Donnelly Jones. I, always have I have been. Yeah, and he, he's another one of those guys where I'll, I'll go back to this park is mine. I go back to Black Moon Rising. I go back to uh, the the fucking pirate movie he did. I saw that shit in the fucking theater. His fucking pirate movie. I saw that shit like in '83. So I'm a Tommy Lee J- Jones fan from way back. And while he was a terrible Harvey Dent, um, and I've made fun of him for that, I'm glad that his Marvel Cinematic Universe character was much more appropriate, age appropriate, personality appropriate. And and if he's only going to get one shot in the Marvel Cinematic Universe this was a great shot he was so perfect in this movie as the ball-busting sergeant and that's such a minor role in the Capcomics it happens and the problem is in the comic books it's mostly in the Silver Age it's mostly Stanley scripts. and it's when Steve's already a fucking ox you know when he's already this gigantic guy and of course he's playing up being a klutz he's doing his whole Clark Kent spiel which is not something that I've missed I don't miss that shtick at all I think that maybe Clark Kent should be a big old geek but I don't think it works necessarily for Steve Rogers, especially you know, once he's in the military, it's it's just kind of a goof. And uh, you know, they don't they're not a ton of World War II era Captain America stories from the Silver Age. They did a run of it for half a year to a year, and then they bumped him back up into the modern times. So to see Tommy Lee Jones take that fairly minor character in the comics and turn it into a a character that very much defines the Captain America stories of the, the period, and to have such a great actor do that, it, it absolutely just like Latucci, it, it it very much. Uh, Increases the value of this movie and how, you know, Tommy Lee Jones, Chuchi, the two of them, that's another star, Joe Walsh. What the fuck are you even thinking?
1: Yeah, and, and they're great. And, and then with the Haley Atwell, too, I love the, the banter between those three. It's fantastic. Uh, all throughout the uh, boot camp scene leading up to, uh, what do you call it, the Super Soldier Serum experience. And then even afterwards, when, when Tommy Lee Jones and, uh, or whenever, what is his What is his actual name in this? Uh, do we ever say what his actual name is? Nobody cares. General <laughs> it's whatever. Tommy
0: Lee Jones. It's, kind of, it's Tommy it's Lee Jones. General t- Lee Jones.
1: General uh, Lee Jones and uh, Haley Atwell going and back and forth after, you know, they smuggle Steve out of the, the camp or whatever. I, I think that all the interaction between those characters, and they don't really have anything to do with, with Chris Evans, are, is all still very, very good.
0: I have to say this too. When I saw the movie the first time, I, I went back and I looked my, at my review, and I felt like ha- Atwell kind of had that one note to some degree. It's like, I, I you know, I agree that she was uh, uh, stunningly attractive. Um, she has an extraordinary jawline. And I, I think one of the reviewers referred to her lipstick as hypnotic Um, but I didn't give her credit for the performance because she has to be such a stoic in this movie and she's kind of a straight man to to a lot of different people but especially Tommy Lee Jones' character and having seen her progress from this movie to the Marvel one shot to her own series you can respect that she has to kind of play at that level because of her environment and the kind of characters she needs to be she's not allowed to have the kind of variance that some of these other characters have and she's as you say she's got such good reporte with these other characters and you can see her vision physically soften around Steve where she's much harder around the other characters I, I did not give her credit enough at the time and I have to give her that credit in retrospect she, it's an extraordinary performance and I have to say too I, again the, the nerdy stuff I was hung up on Peggy not being a part of Cap's origin from the comics I was hung up on Peggy being blonde and being a resistance fighter and all this fucking bullshit and having finally let that shit go and appreciating what Haley Atwell brought to the role and how challenging this was and how again you know not to disparage another actor but you look how things Things worked out with Sharon Carter. And I still feel like the actress who plays Sharon Carter is trying to pull off that role. She did, she did better when she did Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but she still feels like it's an ill-fitting suit for her. And for Atwell to be that intimidating and that competent and that uh capable and you know the the I her character can be somewhat severe, but that's just who she is. That's who that character is, and the fact that she can bring that level of intimidation to be that intense, uh not every actor is capable of that and she deserves all the credit in the world for pulling it off because when she's standing in the middle of the street firing a gun at somebody I believe that she was going to cap that guy in the face on that last shot I don't think that she was bluffing I think she had it and she legitimately was pissed off when Cap got in her fucking way uh, I believe that if she said that she was going to be able to do something she would be able to do it
1: I love that scene where she walks out and instead of like unloading the gun just takes that breath and then pop and just caps that guy from way down the street I'm like dude Peggy Carter's a badass in this movie
0: Well, and you have to take into account too look at all the fucking people that Nazi killed you know there are all these people that are trained to to deal with this guy and it's like fucking Resident Evil it's like nothing but kill shots all the way out and then the one person that's able to stand her ground against him is Peggy you know she's not somebody to fuck with
1: and I, I think it's a great point like you were saying that she she, she intentionally softens up when she's around Steve. Uh, it's so—it's not so. I don't mean to say so obvious. Like, oh, look what she's doing. But it, you, even down like the glances she gives him, you know, or that the cab ride where she's like, surely, where, where they're right, driving, and he's all like, oh, uh, I got beat up in that alley, and that alley, <laughs> and yeah. that alley, and he's like all like getting down low or whatever. And then, uh, and then she even does the, Well, surely you've you've danced, and he's like, no, I'm just waiting for the right woman or whatever. And they kind of cut to her, and, dude, just little stuff like that. And then the fact that that pays off again. In a later movie, ah dude. It's just, it gets me in my feels. I, I love it. And, I, and I, again, every time he looks like he's in some sort of danger, you can tell that she's like, like looking. She's apprehensive because she's trying to protect this little dude. You know what I mean? Even though she's this, she's this badass, and she could have the pick of all the badasses in the uh, in the entire country. Um, she's she falls for great-hearted Steve Rogers. It's it's great. I, I love her in this movie.
0: Well, and he's also one of the only people who actually shows her, her due respect. Uh, yep. You know, calling her a Dame aside by accident, not knowing how to talk women in general but he sees the value in her there's a it's kind of funny because i think one issue i had with the movie at the time was that steve has never had like a one true ship you know he's had ladies come and go and we've actually done a whole podcast about you know if you really wanted to make steve rogers gay in the comic books you probably could because his relationship with women are just not a defining aspect of that character and i had a lot of problems with in-game especially having cap essentially at some point quit seemingly and go off and, and settle down with Peggy because that's just not who the character was from the comic books but re-watching the first adventure and watching this relationship I saw a lot of parallels to Steve Trevor and Diana Prince where a lot of the relationship is uh, pinned on the respect that the male shows to the female in a time period where women were not respected and you can see that she falls in love with Steve or begins to at least while he's still the little trimpy guy and in fact during the Vita sequence she's the one who's calling for them to stop the treatments because she's so afraid for his life. This is a person who's going to stand in the middle of the road and give her own life. She's willing to die to stop this fucking Nazi saboteur, but she's willing to get in the way of the super soldier program because of how much she cares for this little Steve guy. There's a moment at the end of the movie and what had happened was they got, Alan Silvestri does the score of this movie and the, the score is excellent. It, it does not receive enough congratulations, uh, especially because a lot of Marvel scores are uh, shit upon because they're too uh, like anonymous. There's just they're, they're not like a lot of them are lacking in character and I think that because they're going for that 40s vibe you've got some really great orchestration in this movie particularly the excellent Captain America theme well the director had heard uh, some of the, the, the music and it's particularly the music they were supposed to play over the end sequence of the movie and because of this there's a, there, at the end of the flick there uh, Peggy is looking at a folder the Steve's file folder as they're retiring it and she stops while she's holding the folder and she partially opens it and you see like a little bit of a photo sticking out and she pauses and only after a few beats does she finally pull the photo out and it shows that she's not looking longingly at big buff Steve who of course she admittedly had to do the bicep touch on you know she could, she had to touch the man tit because it was just like something that nobody had ever seen in 1940 when Steve Rogers comes out of the, the oven um, but the person that she's actually misty eyed for is skinny Camp Lehigh Steve and the whole reason for that beat was because of the music cue and the director felt that it would make more sense to give it that beat because of the music and then when you see it and you see how it's performed as well I'm not just saying it's the music it's also the performance it's such a great beat that you, you can tell that these two characters do belong together and they are like the one true ship and it's one of the reasons why the Sharon Carter character once she was introduced in the sequel doesn't take because she's just not Peggy you can't beat Peggy and within the context of the MCU within the context of these movies it does make sense that these are the two people who should ultimately their, their tragic uh, star-crossed lack of a proper romance is corrected by fucking with the time space continuum. It, it does make sense as a established in this movie that that's the relationship you'd want to see reconciled.
1: Right I mean e- even at the end of this movie where he gets woken up and it's not the stinger but uh, when he gets woken up uh, in modern day and uh, and they're like Steve you've been asleep for 70 years you're going to be okay and he's just like yeah I, I had a date right like it, it. they keep going back to Peggy it makes total sense in these movies that it, it, it was the end of Chris Evans' contract they're going to end it with him going back to get his dance with Peggy. It's said. It, it, they mention it in like four fucking films in um, multiple times in this movie. So, yeah. So where are we at now? I forgot where we left off the movie. Are we still at boot camp? Is he, did he jump on a grenade yet? Because I, yeah, yeah, I love that scene. Yeah,
0: I love that thing. Well, I just want to say those soldiers, it was another indication of why Steve Rogers was the superior soldier. When they're going for that fucking flag, they're all jumping up of it like it's greased Pole or something. If those guys had just formed a pyramid like cheerleaders, they could have gotten to that fucking flag if they just shown a little bit of teamwork. But it, it, they had to fight against one another and Steve was the only person who who saw a way of doing it on his own but I bet if it had been We All Ride Back he could have told them how to get that flag without having to knock it down you know uh, but they they just couldn't see it
1: I love the look on Peggy's face when he pulls the pin too that scene is so awesome I mean pull the pin on the flag not pull the pin on the grenade pull the pin on but the
0: flag but speaking of then you throw the dummy grenade and it's a sequence where uh, General Tommy Lee Jones' uh, soldier is supposed to be the hero and show that he's like the best soldier but like most of the other soldiers he just runs scared and it's Steve who jumps on the grenade and I love that sw- that swiping you know, arm you know? motion he had were you trying to like continue to contain the blast while trying to wave people yeah. away? because uh, he well, still did thinks
2: that Pe- or you did notice that Peggy also leaped toward the grenade a little bit? Does she? No, I did not notice I that. I did yeah. not
0: know. That's cool. I need to watch it again. When for I rewatched
2: that. it, when you see Steve jump and land on it and he's pushing him away, she was already in a jumpy position. Well, she so is, is the one that is getting
0: first. waved away because she's closest to him when he's doing the little motion. But I
2: just love I love that little touch because I said, like I said, I was rewatching watching a movie this morning, and I never noticed until I was watching. I'm like, right when he lands, when they cut to her, she's like was ready to jump. She was gonna sacrifice herself for. Protect everybody. So that shows like they have the same moral compass where they're quick to sacrifice themselves to protect everyone.
1: I'm watching it right now. Hold on. Oh, yeah, you're right. She was running after it too. Yep. And Steve just beats her to it. Ooh, I like. Yep. There you go, Mr. Fix It. I never noticed that in that scene. Yeah.
2: yeah, you're right. So when I saw it this morning, I was just like, wow, that.
1: Everybody's crazy. running except for Peggy Carter and Steve Rogers. They're both running at the grenade. Ooh, I dig so that. That just,
2: sh- just shows you they were meant for each other.
1: We're both meant to die in a horrible grenade <laughs> accident. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so now we're at a boot camp. Uh, Steve turns gigantic gigantic. Uh, he got big old man titties. I would have touched him too. I'm not even mad about it. Fight me. I don't care. I don't
2: know. Every time I, w- I get out of the shower, I look like that already. So, I mean, I see it every day.
1: Man, I don't know what kind of
2: uh,
1: mind-bending drugs you're taking before you get in the shower, but you gotta pass some of those my way. To- <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I want to have a Funhouse mirror installed in my bathroom too. <laughs> yeah,
1: right. yeah little, 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 uh, Mr. Fix-It actually lives in a traveling carnival. <laughs> so, uh, he sleeps right
2: next to the magic mirrors. Well, I love the fact that also that was, a, uh, that was in prop like she didn't mean to touch him so. was it was that was that in your uh in the thing you watched Frank
0: no no carry on
2: okay so I saw it somewhere they were interviewing him and there when he first came out of the the device that was the real reaction and her her immediate reaction was to touch him and the director was like I love that like we're keeping that and it was one of those things just it just happened um so that was one of those first takes
1: see it's it's endearing in 2011 and 2021 that's sexual assault
2: <laughs> yeah
0: well you know it's funny they, they had this big thing recently where Jane Levy had refused to come back to do uh, *Don't Breathe 2*, and the director had made a big deal about, "Oh, yeah, she's going off to do this other project, and she's working on this TV show, and you know, we just can't get her." And she was like, "No, it's because you know, I I didn't enjoy my experience making the first movie, and the problem was he kept doing shit where he would say he's going to come from the left, and he said the guy comes from the right because he wanted to have her legitimate scare reaction, her her real reaction, and yeah, at some point it's sort of like with Shelley Duvall in *The Shining*, you're literally terrorizing and harassing somebody, and that's an Instance where your you know sincere reaction it, it should be trumped by basic human decency. Whereas a moment like that, where it's just again a human moment, and it's something that if you planned it, it probably wouldn't work. But because you know it, everything about that feels natural, and it's just like a split second thing. I don't think you could plan to do that. It just has to happen naturally. That's the kind of shit that you do long for in these type of movies, and, and that's where the improvisation is very vital to the lifeblood of these movies.
1: Yeah, you're right. Like if they would have scripted now, now, now gently touches booby, it would have never looked like that. <laughs> it would have been so weird. Uh, let me see. Where are we at now? So German guy kills the doctor or runs or I should say Hydra guy uh, kills the doctor, runs out. We get the whole Captain America's first scene is Cap- Captain America where he chases after him. I love that he's like uh, he-, he doesn't know his own speed and he runs into that plate glass window because he can't oh, slow yeah. himself down because he's running so fast. That shit's hilarious. Now, he would have been totally die hearted and his feet would have been cut to pieces. But who cares? Also, Steve Rogers is kind of superhuman in these movies. So maybe not. Not.
0: Um. I do want to point out, Well, and again, this was back in the time where we weren't entirely sure if he was superhuman. They definitely play around with that line where he's really, really strong and really, really fast, but he's a superhuman. It's not 100% clear does, at that point in time. Does he have
2: a healing factor like Wolverine? Not
0: in the comics, not really, but in this movie, okay. maybe, we don't know. We, we It's never made clear, but I would assume so, yeah. I, 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 I do would... want to point out that I remember when they were filming this sequence, it was on one of the, the shows, one of the online shows where they were talking to him and interviewing him. And uh, it was funny because he had these little fake feet so they could run barefoot through the fake New York City. Uh, <laughs> yeah, He had these little rubber feet that he was using, so that's how that happened. That's
2: pretty funny. I, I, would, love, I, I, would, love the, I would love that there was a story arc where uh, Weapon X is just the Canadian's version of trying to create the Super Serum.
0: Ooh, yes please. Yeah, and and Bucky cool. Barnes was the prototype Logan.
3: Yeah. yeah, that yeah I, I think it was
0: cool. Ryan Daly who was talking about how he's apprehensive about Wolverine being brought to the MCU. Because his arc's already been done by Bucky Barnes as a Winter Soldier.
1: Yeah, that's true. Good yeah. point. Rion Delay, look at you, buddy, and probably done better because I doubt. I mean, Captain America: Winter Soldier is better than any Wolverine movie that could possibly exist, right? I mean, Logan's I don't pretty
2: really, good. I really like
1: Logan. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Uh, okay, so at that point, uh, where are we at now? Well, I, I do I like point like... out
0: that while we were in uh, the UK, I did try to go to the pier where that sequence was filmed when Cap dives from the sub uh, after the submarine. Uh, I and by the way, I love the moment where the kid gets thrown into the water yeah. and Cap goes to rescue the kid first and the kid's like, it's okay, go get him, I can swim. I love the, something about the way the kid says it is just priceless. Uh, but I did try my best to get to that here, but it's not really easily accessible. You, you uh, We were taking a taxi and the taxi can't just stop in the middle of this throughway, so there was no way for him to get into the area where the pier was and there was no way for me to get there on foot. Um, but I at least drove past it in the attempt.
2: So, wait, so that scene is supposed to be taking place in New York but it was filmed in London?
0: Uh, well, good chunks of the movie were filmed in, in uh, the UK. Most of the movie London. was filmed at Pinewood Studios. And so a lot of times, 1940s New York was actually modern-day London, uh, redressed. Oh, wow. did not know that.
2: Nor
1: did I, but I guess it helps make everything look older. Yeah. Okay, I liked... Uh, let me see. Uh, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. We can kind of skip him doing all of his uh, war bond stuff. want oh, uh, to talk that... about
2: how Red Skull was introduced in Zola. Yeah, so what do we think about
1: uh, Red Skull... And Armin Zola throughout this movie Oh, loved him. I like Armin Zola better than I think I
2: like Red Skull although I think mean, I, I, I like the fact that Red Skull was chewing up scenery like oh, yeah, he, he should was be beautiful. larger than life yeah, oh yeah he should be larger than life I remember the first time I watched him I thought it was a little too much but after rewatching I'm like oh no that, he he played them perfectly like he should be almost like a, a character out of an opera or something because like, he's grandiose very you know full of himself
1: so. I, I love how much he talks down about Hitler like over and over again How I he love it he talks about
2: everyone dude he's, yeah. he's definitely Definitely uh, a, uh, what do you call him, a uh, megalomaniac? where he, he talks down to everyone. Like, when I, I love when the Nazis show up because they want to know what's going on. And he's just like, you know, he's, he's setting up the weapon to kill them. And there's a part where he's talking about bombing the enemies. And then one Nazi's like, there's Germany on this map. And then when they all realize they're all fucked.
1: Yep, yep. Or when he talks about, uh, I think he says something about eliminating all of my enemies. And they're like, yeah. your enemies? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then later on, yeah, he sees Berlin is on this map. <laughs> yes, indeed it is. And he's sort of zapping all those
3: dudes. Yeah.
0: Well, they've got that, you know, he's wearing the mask for a good chunk of the movie. And at the time I was watching the movie, the first time that bothered me. It's like, I don't want to see the fucking actor. I don't want to see Hugo Weaving. I want to see the Red Skull. But in re-watching the movie over the years, I love the severity of Hugo Weaving's face naturally. I love the fucking Richard Spencer Nazi boy haircut. And I like how they make all these allusions to why that is the case. That apparently in this version of the Red Skull's origin, uh, he was like the ideal Aryan or one of the ideal Aryans and so he found favor in Hitler's eyes and so when he takes Erskine's solution prematurely uh, and becomes the Red Skull when he's disfigured uh, Hitler isn't happy because that isn't the image that he wants out there for the Nazis and essentially Hitler is forcing him to wear the mask and you have that scene where Red Skull is having his face paint, or he's, he's having a painting of himself all natural and they, they keep teasing what the Red Skull is going to look like without you actually seeing him they're just seeing people's like horror and disgust at his face and I, it always struck me at the time weird that he was having the picture done while he had the mask off but in retrospect it makes perfect sense because what it was is he didn't have a problem with his face he had a problem that Hitler had a problem with his face and you can see that he's probably having that painting commission specifically because he's already planning on better dealing the Nazis and you know it's just a, a foregone conclusion for him um, but what's interesting in that particular sequence is that they call him you know, they say specifically that Hitler has said that we are done you know coddling or, or allowing all these these extranctities of the Red Skull, and when the guy lands on the words Red Skull, you can see Weaving's face change, like he's offended and disgusted that that's been applied to him. But at the same time, he ultimately embraces that because it's him in opposition to Hitler and him manifesting as a, a person that's greater than a normal human. He's he's transcended uh, Johann Schmidt by the end and become the Red Skull. So it's actually very cool. But you can see that offense that he has uh, at how dare you try to use that as a slur against me. It, he he kind of Yankee-Doodles it, I'm going to become the the Red Skull to show you how much greater I am than your silly Nazi principles. So it's funny that they distance him from the Nazi party, although it obviously makes sense too. You want to focus though. It's Hydra, 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 not we're promoting Nazis as our ongoing villains. Even though Red Skull doesn't end up amounting to much in the greater MCU, but it is nice that not only are they distancing Hydra from the Nazis while acknowledging those origins, which they didn't have to do. They could have left Hydra as a separate organization, and I'm glad that they'd made that connection because I do think that it's material to who those characters are going forward um, but it, they also make a point of letting you know that they're more than just that and they're not the, the concern isn't about genocide the concern is about total control uh, you know of the world which plays into later movies and TV series and such
1: yeah no, I, 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 I'm, I'm with you on that scene when he, and they, the way they say the red skull like it's disgusting uh, excellent excellent uh, uh, characterization there
0: one of the reviewers talked about how the best part of the movie was Hugo Weaving clearly doing a a Werner Herzog uh, impersonation I'm not familiar enough with his vocal stylings to to know that for a fact but I did really enjoy the way Hugo Weaving did his German accent and it's funny to contrast that against Stanley Tucci's probably much less accurate German accent but I, I, I like that there are two different kinds of Germans with two different kinds of accents
1: yeah it was fine I bought in
0: and then of course Toby Jones is doing his thing and I, I again they, they made a point of showing his face within that little monitor screen at first just to allude to to the Arnim Zola that's more famous in the comic books but what was interesting to me watching the movie again was that Toby Jones clearly shows disgust for not only the Red Skull but for a lot of the atrocities committed by the Nazis you know and, and by Red Skull in uh, his own program I think that there is a humanism to Arnim Zola that isn't acknowledged more broadly and I think it, you know the fact they play into his being a, a vegetarian toward the end of the movie uh, he doesn't buy into a lot of this stuff but I do think he is a Hydra true believer because ultimately what we'll see as he progresses in the MCU is he does believe in control. He does believe that uh, humanity needs to be controlled. Uh, and he does believe in having his scientific endeavors supported. He just doesn't necessarily believe in the red skull and this more brutal uh, tactics that are used.
1: Yeah. Like, like when uh, the, the one guy survived and he's like red skull, we uh, or hair skull. We fought to the last man. And he's like, evidently not. And he pulls the pistol and shoots that guy. And you just see the look of horror on Zola's face. And it's like, okay, I like I I like the setup and the fact that he then does eventually flip to S.H.I.E.L.D. and then is part of S.H.I.E.L.D. and then basically incorporating HYDRA into S.H.I.E.L.D. uh, years later is all excellent.
0: Well, and the thing is going back to some of these reviewers talking about how one-dimensional Red Skull is, the Red Skull ought to be uh, one-dimensional. I I don't want to see a humanizing portrayal. I don't want to see his layers and his motivations. The fact is the guy was always from the comics to the movies regardless of what variations you have on that, he was always the ultimate shield shit. And that's all I want to see. I want to see him being a classic villain because he is a classic villain. I, I'm not a huge Red Skull guy. He's not one of my favorite comic book villains. But when I see him portrayed, I don't want him to have nuance. The guy has a giant cherry on his head. You know, there's nothing fucking subtle about that shit. He should be the most arch-villain possible, especially with the the, the German accent and the fucking badass, form-fitting leather outfits and shit. Um, that's exactly who the Red Skull should be. So I, I, how could... How, what, there's nothing to complain about that because that's what else do you want for the Red Skull? Do, do you want him to have like a romance or something? What the fuck? You know, this he is who he's supposed to be.
2: Now the red skull is half the greatest enemy.
0: I will acknowledge sure. that. He's not my favorite, but he is the greatest.
2: Mr. Fix,
1: I can barely hear you, dude. Where'd you go? Can you hear me? No. Sounds like I'm you're on. like twenty feet from your phone. Let
2: me let me hold on, give me a second. You pooping? No, I'm trying to get these things work. Hold on.
1: You sound fine before. I don't know what happened all the
2: time. Um okay, let me keep talking. Um okay, let me see.
1: Uh Cap's uniform. Do we want to talk about Cap's uniform? It's pretty terrible in this movie, right? It's very very uh, puffy
0: which one are you talking about
1: the one that he like actually when he becomes like actual the one he gets from start
0: okay so here's the thing and again this, this was kind of a bone of contention with is that i knew that you were going to have to translate the comic book to film and we'd already had several attempts at that in live action cap's just got a really super fucking gaudy costume that looks fantastic in the comics and just doesn't work that great in live action and so i'm so i, I can't tell you how appreciative i am for the the uh, cap as a a, a bond salesman uh, sequence. Uh, Paquita got mad at me because while I was taking my notes, I paused during the Star Spangled Man with a Plan because she's like, "That's the best part of the movie. Why would you pause during the best part of the movie?" Um, because she apparently she loves the song and she loves the sequence, and I, I it's so rewarding to see Chris Evans probably going to be the ultimate Captain America actor ever in a classic costume. And I gotta tell you, I still think the boots look great. I love the fucking red boots. Um, but also they they do have that big sagginess around the neck and of course if you've had that costume out in the field it would have looked ridiculous so it's so great to see that classic cap in some iconic uh, poses and situations uh, within the context of the movie and have it work while also recognizing that you couldn't do a proper movie in that costume then you've got the transitional suit where he's essentially wearing a regular fatigues over or actually a bomber jacket over that costume so you have the shades of captain america without it being full-blown and then finally you've got the uh, suit that Captain Self designs. I love that they have the sequence where he draws the, uh, where they they saw him draw him drawing because he wasn't Clark Kent. He was Steve Rogers, illustrator who worked as a freelancer for a number of years. And I love that they worked his art into the movie even that small way. But he's the one who designs this costume. The costume is clearly modeled after Brian Hitch and Mark Miller's The Ultimates. And it definitely reflects the 1940s while still being enough of a superhero costume for it to work. I could have used a little bit more color, but I also recognize that a guy in the field ...during wartime... ...shouldn't have a ton of color... ...and I think that it's probably... One of ...the best live-action realization... ...of the Ultimates costume possible... ...and despite my... ...you know... ...fanboy... ...you know... Uh, ...itching... ...I have to say that... Uh, ...you know... ...it's a, it's probably the best costume... ...they could have possibly have done... ...and I'm, I'm happy with it... ...within that uh, scenario... Uh, ...it's just that... ...it kind of took over... ...the merchandising for a while there... ...where all the action figures... ...and all the t-shirts and shit... ...and that suit... ...and I, I just don't think... ...that it works as well... ...outside of that 1940 setting as it did within, So I, I, I'm happy with it within this movie, but I'm glad they moved past it as well. It's one instance where usually when they decide to change the superhero's costume from movie to movie, so they can put out a new action figure, I resent it. But in this case, I think it actually works for cap because there, there's like an ongoing uh, attempt to tweak the costume and make it work even better. And I think they did a good job with it here and much better job than I had a right to expect.
1: Yeah. It was just like really puffy. I mean, I, I was, I, again, I even have my notes here. Let me, let me read a new word for word. Uniform's pretty awful, but I'm buying it for some reason. I, you know i was fine with it but later on it definitely evolves to like the the cut is better forget the design on it the cut just gets better uh in the later movies so i, I i'm not so sure that i could see america's ass as good in this one as i could as the ones in the later film Pause also, fix it
0: to see if he's there
1: you there mr fix it so weird it was just suddenly he was like really far away i could barely hear him and then he just disappeared mr Fixit, is he on the call
0: i don't i don't know that he is he's not responding do you want to finish out your point and then i'll stop it and we'll call him back or something
1: i mean that that was my point that as much as i thought the uniform looked, just compared to i don't think it bothered me as much at the time but when i started when you compare it to subsequent uniforms this one's pretty rough Whereas i think you can argue the first couple iron man armors from iron man one and two are his best looking armors uh i would say the uniforms for cap got better over time
0: so i'm gonna hang up and try to recall him real quick okay Now we're recording, go ahead where y'all out on
2: the costume right
0: just you, you can whatever costume is appearing in this movie how you feel about that costume
2: i liked it i, I actually like when he had the kind of goofy cloth um uh, you know where he's selling the bonds costume i thought that was kind of a nice touch and you know he had the shield and then actually i, I do like the fact that it looked a little bit like the ultimate caps uniform it looked military but as you know with a helmet uh the gun belt i mean it was kind of cool seeing cap use a 45 so i liked it i thought it was very on point
0: remind me too weren't you particularly fond of the star man with a plan
2: what is that the song in the movie oh yeah i thought it was i thought it was pretty funny yeah it's great
1: which also leads me the the line where he's going to first go into battle and they're like, are you sure you're here for this? He's like, absolutely. I've knocked out Adolf Hitler over 200 times.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> such... That was not – yeah, it was pretty good. He's
1: not a total dork. He's still like – he's got his moments where he's pretty funny. Well,
0: and what's cool too is they're so smart for hanging the lampshade is you've got the sequence with the song where you're showing the idealized Cap that everybody loves and the kids are watching Hitler sneak behind the chorus girls. and They're like, the Look out, look out. You see that version of Cap and you see the Cap that sold all those comic books. I love that they have a sequence in the movie where you actually see Captain America Comics number one being sold to children, brand new. That's awesome. But then you also turn around and you show the soldiers throwing rotten tomatoes at him and the reality of they have no use for his propagandistic bullshit. And again, when he's uh, fought, when he goes AWOL, and by the way, there's a deleted scene, I don't know if you guys had seen it, where we see the super tech, the howling commandos. And again, it's an interesting, let's, let's talk about the howling commandos right quick. So I don't think any of us ever like read a ton of Howling Commandos comics from back in the day, right? No, no, Nah. It's all there's always the guys that pop up whenever Nick Fury is doing something, and we're I think we're all like Nick Fury, right?
1: You mean like in the comics? Which, or yeah. which version? Yeah, which no, no, I version. got I got no problem
0: with any Nick Fury. Yeah. So whenever Nick Fury be doing something, uh, and of course with the Shield comics as well, they integrated a lot of the Howling Commandos into the Shield comics. You know, we you've got to have Dum Dum Dugan with his bowler and the big burly guy, Hannibal Red Mustache, um, and it's an ideal to have Gabe in there. I, I don't think. He necessarily throw around with the horn but he was like one of the first black characters in all of comics and so the fact that he was a howling commando and then later on became a shield agent just for representation alone you need to make sure it had him in there and it was cool they gave him like a, he was multilinguistic and like a Rhodes scholar and some shit like that um I'm not as familiar with the the Asian fellow
2: but I do love the fact that his great-great-grandson is the principal in the uh spider-man universe
0: is that a fact I was not aware yes. of that
2: whenever in the in the movie whenever Peter's being called The office by the principal, who is by the the same actor, he has a photo of his grandfather up in the background in his uniform
1: with the Hannah Commando. Uh, Are you kidding me? Nope. Uh, I'm How going did to y'all my not know Google this? Machine. I'm going to my Google machine. Bring it.
0: Uh, I think his YouTube foo is going to beat you there. I'm sure he's watched all those. Oh no! Did you see this e- I mean, e- e- Easter egg videos that are all over top YouTube? Top
1: ten. Easter Are you ready for the top ten Easter eggs and first mm. Avenger? Blah, 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 blah.
2: No, that one I actually caught because when I saw Spider Man, I'm like, hey, look, it's the same actor from uh, Captain America. And then when he goes to the office, you know, you kind of gl- I glance at the office and I saw a photo in the back of the grandfather uniform. I'm like, oh shit! And then I think I wa- I listened to a podcast where they. had had that actor on there, and they were talking about his different roles, and he said that that was one of his favorite roles because he got to play his own great-grandfather.
0: Oh, so it's literally the same actor playing both roles? Yes. Oh, yes. well, uh, yeah, yes. that's the thing that I should feel regretted about missing. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, and yeah, yeah, and it thinks it's good at spotting actors, so I, I, I'm completely uh, on board. Um, I don't remember Morita from the comic books. I don't know how many of the comic books he was in. It probably was another instance of representation, but I do like the actor, and I especially love when Dum Dum Dugan, because we, it's clear that uh, the guys don't necessarily know each other especially if you see the deleted scene they weren't all working together before they got captured Um, but I love the bit where Dum Dum's like oh I guess we're letting everybody loose and he's like hey I'm from Fresno Ace and, and picks up, shows his dog tags and shit um, I, I think and Frishy's in there as well I, I would not say number one it's extremely clear that Wonder Woman stole these characters just remorselessly clearly
2: thank you, thank you that you're willing to admit that absolutely I will
0: also say that I enjoy the sequences with the Howling Commandos, far more than I enjoy, whatever the fuck you want to call those guys from Wonder Woman. Um, what I will say though is that the individual members are better developed in Wonder Woman. Most of the people that make up the Howling Commandos are not given a lot of time to do stuff in the movie. It's enough time because Dum Dum gets a few lines and he gets to say wahoo, and you know, we, we get to see the interplay and stuff, we get to see them in action, but none of them ever really get that well developed. I think well, that they did a good job for, for, for as little as I know the characters, portraying well, those ask, characters
2: let me ask you this because you watched Peggy Carter correct yeah do they make appearances in Pe- Peggy Carter?
0: There's a the, yeah, there's a sequence where she teams up with the Howling Commandos. It was one of the best episodes of the first season.
2: Okay. So I like the fact that they still bring them on. Like mm-hmm. they're existing characters in that well, universe. That's and that was cool. one of the
0: problems that I had. Is uh, again, being the fanboy, number one, the uh tie-in movie to the first Avenger, because they didn't want to waste the Red Skull and because they needed more villains, they brought in Baron Strucker for the video game. And of course Baron Strucker turns up in Age of Ultron as a modern day bad guy, maybe a descendant, they never go and. Into that much detail with them, But it always bugged me when I was watching the movie the first time that by having Nick Fury in the modern era and disassociating him from, from, from the Howling Commandos and the Howling Commandos really only getting the one major spotlight cinematically within the Captain America movie that they were just going to kind of burn through those characters and never use them again. Now the fact is in retrospect and not being so tied up into the comic book stuff I recognize that there's only so much you can do with the Howling Commandos even though they've had a long history in the comic books we didn't read those fucking comics and most people who did read comic books are already fucking dead. So it's not like they have like some fan base that's desperate for them to come back, right? Um, It's okay. It's okay that they didn't flesh out the Howling Commandos. It's okay that Cap leads them instead of Nick Fury. It is a divergence from the comics, but I think they serve very well within the context of this movie. I think that they're well performed. And I have to point out specifically, Neil Donahue is one of those guys that I generally hate, not because of anything wrong with him, but he was in, I think those Mercedes or Cadillac commercials, where he's just such a smug prick. And generally speaking, when he's in his normal look he kind of looks like a smug prick, it's part of the reason why it worked. And so burying him under all that dum dum Dugan affectations, this is like one of the only times I've ever liked the guy because he's playing a different character than he normally plays. So uh, it works well. I completely forget that this is the same guy that was in you know, all these other things, you know, he was Damien Dark in the CW shows and shit like that. I completely forget it's the same guy because he becomes dumb dum Dugan in this movie.
1: Agreed. Also agreed. I don't give much of a shit about the Helen Commandos. But I like these guys in this movie. Mm-hmm. Every time I start to talk, you cut me off, Frank. So mm-hmm. I don't know what 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 do you got next, Frank? You're you're driving this train. Oh, so. Speaking of train, uh, sure. di- so Bucky gets killed on the Snowpiercer train, right? Mm-hmm.
0: I, somebody actually pointed out—I uh, I think it was in one of the videos I was watching—that or uh, might be a review—that apparently that whole sequence was swiped from, I think, Uncharted Two. Mister Fixer probably the worst. Did you did you uh, do Uncharted
2: I, Fix it? I mean, I played the games. I don't remember that. Thing. I mean, so
0: you don't think the train sequence was taken from that? This this guy was a certain uh, guy. I haven't played it, so I can't say.
2: Well, I don't know. I, I my top ten uh, best videos YouTube uh, probably didn't talk about it. So I wouldn't know. Don't get your feeling hurt, big guy.
1: Uh, who cares? <laughs> I don't care. Uncharted Two, never heard of it. Next, it's a good game. I mean, uh, it just—it seems to be like like landing on a moving train, moving car. These are all just action tropes. So yeah, it's a big
2: deal.
0: Yeah, like I said, I haven't seen it. This is secondhand, so I can't speak to it. I, I was hoping it would have played it or something. So, I,
2: I mean, I played the game, but I just don't remember the train scene. They—they they do a lot of big like uh, set action pieces where, like, you know, it's a train. Uh, you're cla- you're crashing an airplane in the desert. Um, I mean, it's been a while since I played the game. I'm sure there's a scene in there. Now to say that, oh, it's a ripoff from that okay well you can say the same thing probably like you know what, what's another movie where we have a train and people are falling off of it and hell uh
0: the wolverine yeah, was it? yeah the wolverine Western. has a train sequence there's lots of movies that have yeah. train sequences fucking uh indiana jones the last crusade has a train sequence yeah i i i am not gonna dispute this fellow you know i just was throwing it out there in case anybody had to uh you know unless it was red meat for somebody uh one thing that is weird with the movie watching it in uh in retrospect is I keep going back to the bull from Camp Lehigh and whose name I don't remember and they show him like reading the Cap comic book and they see him coming out of the tent when Cap comes back with the rescued soldiers and it's like I have to keep reminding myself that this guy's in the movie and then he keeps popping up in the movie and I, I really think they spent way too much time showing us the bully guy because I don't know if maybe you guys caught that and it mattered to you it was completely meaningless to me mo- almost every time I've seen the movie without looking at it from a critical well, stance
2: I was a little disappointed because I actually thought he was going to be some kind of major villain down the line I thought that that was the whole point of showing him over and over, like you know he's gonna be who's another Cap villain you could turn him into, or, or the
1: that Cap side maybe, now, or, or the Cap would save him at some point. Yeah, I mean, look, it, yeah, it is weird they kind of keep having him pop up in the movie, right? Like it is weird. Now that you mention it, yeah. it's kind of strange. There's, there's no real reason
3: to
2: it. Because when I rewatched, you're right, he does pop up quite a bit. But I kept thinking, like, was the initial reason is like they're gonna, you know, is he fucking Duke Nukem or what's his name Nuke? I mean, are they gonna do something with him? or, you know, I don't know.
1: No, I, I did like him in the crowd, like. I remember, I think he shouts something at at Cap. I I didn't mind that. You get to see, like, oh, that dude continued on, went to the war, and now he's this jaded soldier. I'm fine with that. But then, yeah, they like keep showing. I think he's got a couple more appearances after that. And it's like, why? Like, what is this dude doing here for?
0: Another one that gets me because I didn't even know who she was at the time. Natalie Dormer is kind of wasting this movie. I I, I don't think she's ever been less attractive to me than she was in this one. She had that extra pinched face for the role. And it's just like, you have to remind me that she's in this movie. And I think that she could have probably been a bad guy she might have been like a good viper or something but in the context of this movie it's like it's it's a nothing role and she, she doesn't really work that great in it
1: yeah what it's role did she play? she's the chick who kicked uh she kisses cap where she's like you saved yeah. all those boys they're gonna get go home to their wives oh or she was in a uh, game of thrones right oh yeah yeah, yeah. the hunger yeah, okay. games movies and all sorts of whack stuff okay. she's not great in my opinion the smirk is a little annoying to me but yeah smirk was the smirk was turned up to 11 in this uh in her 25 seconds in this film i don't really care that natalie dormer was wasted in this movie so we can move on from that who cares dude? Like, she, I don't think she was anybody in 2011 so whatever
0: she wasn't but she's like so much more attractive okay. in other things and then in this movie I don't know for some reason she has no mojo
1: well I'm not going to body shame her like you are so we can yeah,
2: I'm, yeah I'm fine
1: with I'm sorry she she, she her makeup job. wasn't great for you Diablo Frank I'm shocked appalled now he gets
0: quiet. Well, he's all like, you keep interrupting me. So I was like, well, bring out your notes, fucker.
1: <laughs> well, no, be- well, because I'll say, hey, now let's go to this scene. And you're like, well, before you do, I want to talk about Natalie Dormer. So I was like, okay, bro. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, I mean, okay, I mean, okay
0: gonna, let's, uh, we're going to take a minute then. Let's talk about the Red Skulls ride.
1: Oh, his car. Dope. Yeah, dope. They call it like the, uh, the Schmidt V-16 or something. It's very cool. I think it's dope. Yeah, they, they yeah. have a
0: whole special. I, I don't remember if there was a whole featurette devoted to it, but a good chunk of one was and it was clearly really? it was based on an actual like off-road like construction vehicle or something that's why it's got the six wheels for the extra traction um, but they they made a point of elongated it and they were talking about how if you add you know half a foot anywhere on a car it's just a huge difference to what that car is going to be and the fact that this thing is like 20 feet long or something it's just this enormous vehicle but I think it fucking owns any cinematic Batmobile ever created I would I would want to ride in this way more than any Batmobile I've ever seen even the fucking 60s one. Because that looks like a pretty cramped, uncomfortable ride. This one looks way more uh, plush, and it still has the jet rockets.
1: Yeah. It's definitely it's cool. I, I I like they actually took detail. I mean, I don't know if this was a toy. Was it ever a toy? Doubt it. Why did they put so it much should thought have into been. Why did they put so much thought and detail into Red Skull's car? Isn't that weird? Yeah, I never thought about that. Usually, when stuff's done like that, it's done because it's going to be a toy. So that's very strange.
0: Well, I think, too, there's a lot of cap that's corny. Well, it's, it really well, I mean, looks a lot like the Batmobile from the for, from the Tim Burton movies, yeah,
2: a little bit. It's, it's very mass, though. It's very, you know.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, the the, the Tim Burton Batmobile even has a little clit tickler on it, you know, so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, there's there's definitely something phallic about both of the rides. But I think what it was is it's caps kind of square. They want to take an opportunity to, like, hype up the cool leather badass Nazi shit with, with Red Skull. And so that's why he gets the Hydra uh, hood ornament and all that kind of cool shit. That is a badass ride.
1: I mean, it, it just looks it looks more like an old, like, Bugatti or something. That's it's stretched and put six wheels on it. Uh, I mean, it's definitely super cool. But I think it's, it's an homage more to an old 30s, 40s car than anything else.
2: I, I really hope hope they took it out for like uh promotional purposes and like drove around town in that thing that'd be fucking awesome that
1: thing was all cgi homie wasn't it nah it had to be real no built
0: no they actually yeah. didn't build that one
1: yeah, yeah okay i'm finding pictures of it now that's pretty yeah. rad
0: and that's one of the things that I, I miss with a lot of the marvel movies is that this was still in the uh pre-mcu thinking where you built some shit they actually worked in actual sets it wasn't like yeah. entirely green screen like so much Marvel stuff is now now some of that when they do go cgi like uh toward the end of the picture when the car, when Tommy Jones and um, uh, Peggy, Carter. Peggy Carter are driving the car right up to Steve, it's like, okay, this is clearly animation, this is clearly not physical uh, uh, objects in motion shit, um, but in general yeah, there's a lot of physical things you're working with they actually built the lab where they, where Steve, get you know, the Operation Rebirth lab, and they build the Hydra base and they have the tunnels where they can move them around so that they look bigger than they are, and all the, the typical movie shit, um, I do feel like this movie's a little more grounded than some of the later Marvel stuff as a result of that
1: yeah no I, I did definitely have appreciation for the uh the practical stuff in this movie but and yeah you're right uh, okay. that that runway scene at the end is it's like oh yeah here we go here's the 10 year old uh cgi also when he's blowing up that giant tank and he jumps off it like i, I think you mentioned that earlier yeah the, the montage
0: right. how do we feel about the, the the montage
1: i liked it it was okay i just didn't like the tank scene i liked him unloading that freaking gun dude i thought it looked awesome he <laughs> charged up the shield and just bah, 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 and they're all like unloading oh that's another thing too that's and that's another a practical thing in this movie. I'm pretty sure all the guns in this movie are like real guns with blanks in them. Because the way they pop off in the actor's hands and the way they sound, like when they're in the train and they're popping off that pistol, pop, 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 pop. Like it doesn't you know, now all these guns are like one hundred percent CGI. Like the bullets are CGI where they're hitting the dudes at CGI. I feel like they were actually shooting blanks in this movie. I don't know, there was something like, very like, like old explosive school. or concussive anytime they fired a weapon in this movie. At least the the hand, uh, the pistols and stuff anyway. That was plays into your uh practical effect, deal. I knew I had some point I was gonna make about that.
0: Yeah. Uh, The montage was always an issue for me because it's compacting Cap's entire World War II career into this little tiny segment. And it's not even one of the stronger moments musically. But they're also doing the fucking Zack Snyder speed ramping during that. And they have some of the most overt CGI, particularly the the super tank uh, sequence for that. Um, So it's not one of my favorites. Now it was a good sequence in 3D as I recall. Particularly when he throws the shield at the audience. Uh, And that's the thing that we need to talk about too that is overlooked. Is the shield more often than not in the movie was CGI. And so they they get a lot of credit to Chris Evans for figuring out the physicality of throwing the shield and so much of that is him just moving his arms around without any physical object in, in his in his hands and you in no point in, in my experience do you ever think that he's not throwing the shield at people it just never occurs to me that he isn't actually throwing the shield at folks which is exactly what you would want for a movie and again it's one of those things that Evans doesn't get credit for and not to diminish Robert Downey Jr. but Downey Jr. doesn't have to figure out how it looks to shoot a repulsor you know it. it if he's not pure CGI, you know, the suit does a lot of the work for him, where physical shit like the jumping and the throwing and shit, Chris Evans has to do that, and so not only is it phenomenal acting, but it's phenomenal physical prowess. Uh, one thing the director talks about a lot is that they had done doubles for Chris Evans, but because Evans moves in such a singular fashion, and he has such a balladic way of moving, that they couldn't really double him very often, because he just moves like Cap, and nobody else could match those movements in the same way. So, you know, another instance of Evans just fucking owning in this role
1: yeah i guess i didn't realize the shield well maybe i did realize the shield was cgi yeah okay i guess i can see that i can see that yeah you're right then yeah the fact that he's having to throw nothing
2: is probably difficult right oh yeah absolutely you like like you were just saying he has to create the for it.
0: and also they got the cycle in there and i i know the cycle was mostly a big thing in the 70s into the early 80s and i th- talked about that some with the, the 70s cap movies but for a generation of captain america fans cap's got to have his cycle you've got to have the cap cycle and i love that he got it tricked out James Bondian Cycle in these movies we I love that it's Obama. got that fucking roar to it you know it's not some uh, I, I'm not going to try to find the disparaging term but it's not some bullshit import it, it's like an American vroom vroom motorcycle like it ought to be and he does <laughs> cool shit
1: you mean like a Harley Davidson or something it, but
0: it's not a Harley I think it's actually a, a, yeah, I, it I, I think it's a Honda matter. so it's not it, but it feels like American it's, muscle
2: in other words it's not it doesn't sound like it's whining when he's driving Whee! It yeah, is more of vroom vroom. It make vroom vroom noise.
1: Continue with your vroom vroom noises, sir. I apologize. I mean, catch up. Don't get all mad and get all quiet on us now. Damn, yeah, Blue Frank. You guys want to talk about the ending of this movie? Are we done? We're done.
0: Nope, not quite yet. Ouch, uh. Shit. <laughs> Uh one of the thing that I think is great about the performance is that he is a little bit Captain Canada. I love one thing I hate in movies is when you have the moment where the, you know, uh Riggs and hall are going after the bad guys, and Merthall grabs a gun and throws it to Riggs, and Riggs grabs it and starts shooting the bad guys and never acknowledges the help that he just got in doing this. One thing that's really cool about this movie is Cap uh messes up uh Peggy Carter's shot and he actually says, sorry, and runs away. Uh when uh Farnsworth throws throws the shield to Cap so he can chase after the Red Skull. He says, "Thank you." I I like that Cap actually acknowledges the people that are helping him throughout the movie in a way that almost no cinematic heroes ever freaking do. Well, he's a very nice man.
3: Yeah,
2: I was like, I didn't catch that. And now he knows which room for a motorcycle (laughs) this is.
0: So well, how's, your, how's your notes? You got any notes that you're missing out on?
2: Let me
1: run through here. Uh, I like at the very end where the kids are playing with the Captain America trash can lid. It makes my heart fill up with amazing stuff. Um, I so
0: wish they had cut to the credits and then come back for a mid-credit scene and then come back again for an end-credit scene. But I think that they were so concerned that people would miss their advertisement for the Avengers that they had to tack it on after that sh- that trash can shield. And that is such a perfect, proper ending to the movie before you start getting into the actual F- and I, w- I wish they'd let it alone and just run the cr- the, um, the the title credits and then gone to Captain Unfrozen.
1: Or let it breathe a little. Exactly. Uh, I like that he foiled Shields. Like whole, they had that whole sound studio built, and he got over that shit immediately because he remembered that he was at that baseball game freaking awesome somebody was
0: fucking bitching that like well why didn't they just have a baseball game from after he went to the ice they know when that happened and the shield and blah 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 it's like yeah because you have all these fucking audio files lying around and you're gonna like that is such nitpicky shit and it's an opportunity for Cap to show his brains and one of the things I love with these movies is he's not just the badass action hero you actually see him thinking too and they have to fucking shit on that these fucking assholes nitpicking over this shit yeah he was at that specific game and he recognized the plays fucking Get over it. No shit. But I, dude, I mean, on.
2: I just I think that's kind of cool that it you know the super, super serum gives him that ability where you know everything is enhanced, not just physically but mentally he's enhanced as well.
0: And I agree that that is the case, but I like that he, they show that he was smart even before them.
1: Yeah, I, I th- and I think that was part of it too. I think he didn't necessarily remember the game because super soldier serum. He remembers it because he was at the game. Like, uh, yeah, I remember that game. I was at it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I would remember it was a, it was a significant game I was at. I'd remember that game if I suddenly heard it on the radio. I'd be like, what? Like, I've heard this game before. Um.
0: Well, and he's actually perceptive the- enough to catch that in the midst of this surreal environment you know but also do you remember in 2011 we were all watching the movie trying to figure out if that chick was Black Widow and being disappointed when she wasn't
1: yeah yeah I remember that yeah what 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 agent is she going to be is she Black Widow I mean she kind she kind of looks like the hair is almost spot on for what uh, ScarJo had in Iron Man 2 wait no yes yeah Iron Man 2 came out before this yeah they <laughs>
0: totally could have gotten her they totally should have gotten her yeah. but again um, she's a huge movie star so she can't just show up for Captain America's little bullshit bit part you know she's yeah. bigger than that she's not that easy to get a hold of.
1: Damn i think they could have got her um and then i like the stinger when he punches when he's just like running through punching bags where he's just blasting them off the hook and he's having to grab another one and hook it back up there uh stupid and here's one thing about this movie uh, this movie is about captain america and steve rogers you know what i'm saying so many of these and you know, we i know we've, we've had some disparaging remarks for uh, some of those aspects of black panther or it's kind of a black panther t'challa movie but it's also about his cast of characters and everything and about uh, the villain whereas this movie is about captain america and steve rogers okay it's it's nothing about making him look really, really good, showing what a badass he is, you know what I mean? Really go, getting into the character, and even these little moments where it's just, they can't stop making him be incredibly awesome. And I love having the character that I really, really like do cool shit in these movies, and I get to fucking pump my fist like, hell yes, dude. Cap is such a badass. He's literally punching, punching bags off their freaking hooks, and sailing it across the room. Yeah. Uh, it, it just, I, just, I love that stuff. That's the kind of stuff I, I just love to see. Well,
0: especially knowing that this is the only World War II era Cap movie we're ever gonna get and, and they know too that Cap's gonna be a hard sell so they are hard selling him and I'm glad they recognize that did the job there's one of those uh, comparison videos where they talk about how Captain Marvel tried to do that and how they just like stop the movie cold and have her best friend tell the audience how great she is but never in the course yeah. of the movie actually show us her being great just having her being lauded and this movie does both it has a bunch of people tell you Cap's the man Cap's really awesome um, but also he shows you that he's awesome and he shows you that he's got a good heart and he shows you that he's smart and he shows you that he kicks ass and, and you know I, I, it's weird because they got this right so early on and they're not quite as capable of pulling it off as some of these other characters and I'm, you know maybe you don't get like lesser known directors who will follow the Marvel m- mold precisely because you lose that, that, that energy that you have from a more capable director who recognizes what you're maybe missing uh, within the model, Marvel model like you can go through it as a formula but unless you can find a way of pizzazzing it, unless you can take that formula and bake a brilliant cake out of it, then it's just going to be flat. It's just going to taste like the same old, same old.
1: Um, can I just say that Captain America's uh, motorcycle in the first Avenger is a 2008 overhead cam V-twin Harley-Davidson, and it's in the Harley-Davidson Museum.
0: Wow. So somebody said, maybe it was the Hydra ones that were Hondas then, because they said, I want to say they said Honda in the commentary track, but I'll be honest with you, I felt asleep during that commentary track more than nearly any other one, so that might have been contributory.
1: Yeah, there's a dude on Red, that it. it went to the Harley Davidson Museum in Milwaukee and the original motorcycle used in Captain America the First Avengers there. Very cool. And I suddenly have a reason to go to Milwaukee. That might be the only reason. I'm sure it's a very nice place. Uh do we have people in Milwaukee? Uh, you know what? Edit that out. Our Milwaukee fan base is probably going strong. Love you
0: Wasn't Mil- Milwaukee the one that Alex Alex Cooper was waxing on about in one of the Waynes World movies?
1: Milwaukee, yes it was. Yes. I don't remember. Uh can you just take that clip and insert it right here in the podcast?
3: <laughs> Alice, is this cool? Marcia, check these Yeah, speakers. come on in. Oh, Sorry to bother you, but we had to come and tell you how much we really enjoyed the show, didn't we, Garth? <laughs> oh, Thanks. We're not mental or anything, so don't be afraid. My name is Wayne, and this is Garth. <laughs> nice to meet you guys. Yes, for sure. So, do you come to Milwaukee often? Yeah, <laughs> Well... I'm a regular visitor here, but Milwaukee has certainly had its share of visitors. The French missionaries and explorers were coming here as early as the late 1600s to trade with the Native Americans. In fact, isn't Milwaukee an Indian name? Yes, Pete, it is. Actually, it's pronounced Miliwake, which is Algonquin for the good land. I was not aware of that. I think one of the most interesting aspects of Milwaukee is the fact that it's the only major American city to have ever elected three socialist mayors. Does this guy know how to party or what? Huh? Huh? Huh. Okay. Well, we got to get going. No, no, no. Stick around. Hang out with us. A losers, huh? Cool. Yeah, we'll stay and hang around with you. With Alice Cooper.
1: <laughs>
3: We're not worthy! We're not worthy! We're not worthy!
1: Thank you very much. So this movie is awesome. Kind of just I agree. awesome. I've now seen this movie probably. <laughs> Seven times, eight times. This movie's fantastic, dude. Uh, it, it's got so much heart. It's got so. It, it's very much its own movie, but at the same time, setting up all the cool shit in the Marvel Cinematic. Universe. Like the next movie after this was Avengers, right? Like it, it's leading you into Avengers, which is also an incredible movie. Um, it, the stinger's great. The it's just everything, everything is great about this movie. Uh, I, I again, Red Skull. Yeah, okay. Do we really know what his plan is? Yeah, I guess not. We don't really know. But again, it, it pays off because the Tesseract becomes such a big deal in all these other movies. So it's even cooler than he has the cosmic cube because it's again it's a huge cornerstone to this day of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and then now they're Disney Plus shows uh, so that's awesome that that appears in there uh, You Uh know, they talk about how it was the greatest uh prize in Odin's uh, war chest or whatever I mean there's just so many connections in this movie to all the other Marvel properties yet at the same time being so contained on its own and being so focused on how great of a character Steve Rogers is he isn't like some clown in this movie that needs help from all these different people he, he comes out of it looking so 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 good and really getting to like the essence of what Steve Rogers is and kind of what makes him so different from all these other superheroes because he's Steve Rogers is different Captain America is different and it's not because he he wears American flag on his chest and he's Joe Blow America that ain't what it's about homie watch the movie learn who the character is that's not what it's it's about the ideal it's not about you know necessarily the country that makes sense and that's what the character is about it's not it's not some vengeful revenge driven character who had all this tragedy happened in his life He's just a good fucking dude Who wants to do good shit And that's what superheroes Are supposed to be Amen And I like the damn dance With Peggy And I love all the shit in here with Peggy I'm gonna fight people Glad he got the dance He was owed that dance Tim Dan years ago da, 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 da. No I'm joking What, what about you are we talking about anything else I guess we've all said We like the movie right We like the movie yeah. People go watch this movie again It's great This movie's well, really fantastic
0: I, Well I think Mr. Fixit has, he, he could have an opportunity To elaborate Oh I mean
2: I, what, In terms of loving this movie Because I think I've seen it More than both of y'all together Probably Yeah. Did it, you say it's, it's one, one Of your favorite a, MCU movies Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's one of my go-to. Having a rough day, just throw it in the background, and I'll catch myself stopping and start watching it. It's just a fun movie. This, this is this type of movie is the movie I go to the
0: movies to enjoy. Hello. Yeah, still here. I just I wanted to make okay. sure you had plenty of okay. oxygen so you talk. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I, I had all the nitpicky stuff, uh, the comic book nerd stuff, the Captain America fan stuff, and I, I definitely struggle with that through the first time I watched the movie uh, because I saw unintentionally Batman 1989 three times theatrical. Um, I, I felt compelled to watch the first Avenger three times because I'd be damned if I saw the first Captain America movie fewer times than I saw the first Batman movie of the modern era I would say and um, by the third time it was kind of hard for me I had to go out to a dollar cinema out in like Webster and the film broke <laughs> You know, it's just like there's all this kind of stuff where it's like and it was already out on Blu-ray and I, and Pegida had already bought it for me even so I already had the thing and I'm still committed to seeing it one more time theatrically in the original run-ish um, and so the thing is is even watching i don't like watching the same movie over and over again i'm just i'm not built that way but i still was able to enjoy it each one of those times and i've watched it many times in the time since then and even paquita who is absolutely not a captain america fan and makes fun of him she's a big team Stark guy she would even throw it on in the background and have it on it's a very comfortable fun movie it's got all these great scenes to it but i think part of it is just like it's there aren't any bad scenes there aren't any moments that take you out of the movie there aren't any bad performances um you one of again we've talked about like say Black Panther for instance where the they supporting characters seem to dominate the, the, the narrative one of the things that's nice with Cap is they've got a, there's definitely plenty of supporting characters here but what they do is they make sure to get, cast them extremely well and use them to the degree that they're necessary and because they're such great performers they hit it out of the fucking park and they get out of the fucking way because the movie's about Captain America not about General Tommy Lee Jones or Dr. Erskine or what have you um, they're in there as much as they need to be to make the movie better and you enjoy them thoroughly while they're there but you never get a chance to tire of them in fact it leaves you wanting more it leaves you continuing to be hungry for more Stanley Tucci you know Um, and totally.
1: so I, huh? I should totally agree that I you know you you kind of wish Stanley Tucci would be in the movie more right,
0: right. Uh, most of the people that are in this movie including Hugo Weaving as Red Skull including Toby Jones as, as Arno Arnim Zola you, you've got just enough of them to hunger for more and the thing is the tragedy is you for the most part you're not going to get any more from any of these people for the most part that's why it's such a treat when they show up in something like the, the Agent Carter series for instance um, but mostly it's all here and so you're just happy with all these elements and how well they work together for the time you get to spend with them and then you're on to the next thing and of course it's a very propulsive movie because they're putting the entire World War II experience into the one film um, so it's extremely satisfying and having lived with this movie for a decade all the shit that I had problems with just fell away over time I just accept the movie for what it is which makes it seem like it's something I'm having to be apologetic for I'm not I think it's easily one of the best Marvel Cinematic Universe films I think it holds up extremely well frankly to most of everything that's come out in the later years you know I, I I really wish that more of the modern Marvel movies were as good as this movie was and the fact that it also has that underdog quality from not having made as much money from having to win over people that were really objected really objected to the existence of a Captain America movie and the existence of the character to have won them over over the years to have used the universe to make people go back and appreciate how good this first movie was despite it owing plenty of inspiration to other movies despite it being derivative in its own ways I still works so well as a superhero movie and it's still so unique as a superhero movie and it's still so good that other superhero movies feel the need to steal large portions of it and get a lot of goodwill based on what they stole from this movie acknowledge it (laughs) um it's it's just a great film and i think that you could stack this up against any of the indiana jones movies and it feels like it could be a piece with those so if you like that kind of movie you would like this frankly i think it's better than most of the indiana jones movies and so why wouldn't i want more of that? Why wouldn't I want more of the good feelings that a movie like this gives you? And I'm going to tell you one other thing, too. I'm trying so hard to be okay with Sam Wilson becoming Captain America. And when I go back and I watch these movies with Chris Evans and how great he is at Steve Rogers and how important the character of Steve Rogers is to Captain America stories. uh, I'm creating my own resistance. It's so hard for me to think that we're going to have Captain America movies with Sam Wilson instead of Steve Rogers. And I, I, I want people People to have their cap, and I want the stories that didn't get told with Chris Evans to be told with somebody else. But it's always going to be with that asterisk where why isn't Steve Rogers in the story? So I'm, I'm going to do my best to accept it, and I've I managed to enjoy stuff without him. But it's just so much better when Steve Rogers, specifically as played by Chris Evans, is also there. It just it takes everything up to another level of quality. Are you yeah, tearing in- up, man? No, no, no. But I will oh, okay. say that on this watching, probably in part because I was so invested in it and thinking about it and spending my time savoring it and making all these notes and shit i did get misty both at the trash can lid and at the i had a date that got me i I didn't actually get tears mind you i didn't go that far but it definitely choked me up a bit watching it again um having you know really marinated in it this this uh this time
1: yeah and i I, again a couple other threads we have to touch on too is that you know i think if this makes the steve visiting peggy in the nursing home slash hospital in winter soldier uh, i mean I, i again all of these movies just feed off each other now look i know it's a sequel look so all sequels are going to have some common threads but it helps me after i've seen that scene and then the funeral in winter soldier i, I mean in uh, in civil war coming back to this movie it does make the movie better like it just does it's, i'm sorry I, I hate to keep saying that but the fact that they built this huge universe uh it, it doesn't hurt the movie it makes the movie it makes the movie better uh and i i just i love the hell out of this movie which originally i think we talked about this in the thor podcast upon theatrical release i actually like thor better than captain america and now there's like no competition i, I still enjoy thor because it's so short and fun uh and and but this this is a much better movie uh in basically every aspect
0: yeah and cab does break the two-hour line which is something you would appreciate that thor didn't do apparently
1: Man, it's got to be close, though, right? It's got to be pretty close.
0: And speaking of pretty close, you know, it's often talked about Winter Soldier being one of the best comic movies of all time. I certainly agree with that. And sometimes I want to give Winter Soldier the edge on The First Avenger, but every time I go back and rewatch The First Avenger, it's right back to which one of these is the better of the two. And it's going to be really interesting because I think when we cover The Winter Soldier, I'm going to make a point of watching all of the Captain America movies again and seeing them in that context and trying my best to figure out which ones are better than the other ones. Uh,
2: I I, I don't think... I don't think that's fair because I don't think there's one that's better. They're different animal or they hit different, uh, for me anyway, they hit differently emotionally.
0: Yeah, they, I mean, they are surprisingly different movies from one another.
1: I mean, I, I can be, just to be real with you, When the last time we ranked these things after Endgame, I had First Avenger ahead of Winter Soldier. And I and I, that this was coming off, I watched every single one of these movies right before Endgame and then we watched Endgame and then we covered it. Uh, and a straight through watching of all of the MCU movies, I put First Avenger ahead of Winter Soldier. Just yeah. saying.
0: Yeah, a lot of these people who rank the movies tend to you know whether like in general like in, in superhero cinema or just the ring around the MCU the tendency is to rank the Winter Soldier at or, or at the top or very near to the top and I completely understand that uh, that indicate that that uh, drive to do that because I do think that the Winter Soldier is a more unique movie among superhero movies I think it does things that most superhero movies can't accomplish but I'm not sure that it's actually better than the first Avenger because as far as superhero origin stories go this this is one of the ones to beat, really. I, I think you can put the first Avenger against pretty much any other superhero origin movie and it, it equals or betters it. So, I, I think there's a lot of people who still can't get on board with it's the old-timey, let's you know, good old, like, uh, that 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 simpler time narrative that the movie has. And so I think that they give it marks against it and, and bring it down. And I do think that it's less unique than uh, Winter Soldier because it, it does a lot of the same stuff that other movies does. I just think it does it so well and i'm a superhero movie fan and this is like one of the if not the best superhero movies that it's like for me i think there's much more competition than maybe there is for somebody who is looking at it more critically but i think within the realm of superhero movies it, this is a tough one to beat and it's going to be really interesting to see how i feel when it comes time to do the winter soldier
1: yeah honestly uh looking at this ranking again i had civil war ahead of uh, winter soldier too but i i love the hell out of civil war civil war is just awesome because robert Downey jr and chris evans just absolutely decimate that movie they're both so good in
0: that movie yeah and i think ryan daly ranks that as his captain america number one as well so uh i I know for a fact that it is not mine it's it's definitely a competition between the first two
1: it's okay you're allowed to be wrong on this podcast all right everybody um so i mean that's it people go watch this movie again what are you guys doing why, why are you even listening to our podcast or play our podcast over the movie while you watch it i would highly recommend you do that i might do it no I you're not
0: gonna do that
1: no but uh yes excellent excellent movie uh you don't have to watch a million movies to get it it's just so good on its own which i can't we well, obviously we can't say the same thing for for instance like civil war right you can't you can't just walk into civil war you can't even just watch the first two uh cap movies you got to watch half a dozen movies um but yeah great movie thumbs up anytime we want to re- want to do the 11th year anniversary of Captain America vs. Major, let me know. I'll fucking watch it again. Everything's cool.
2: Was that you dropping the mic? I think you literally set, dropped the mic, yeah.
1: I set my phone down violently. <laughs>
0: Prominent Marvel Maximus followers include Kobe Grief, DC Cosmic Cards, Office Barista, Opus Publishing, The Roster, and Stony Talk, with shoutouts from Canoe, David Leinhart, Dirk Ashton, and Tim Price. Retweet frantic ones include CH, Nath S, Siskoid, and
3: Talk Nerdy To Me. Keepers of the Favorites Flame include Asylum Press, Billy at Fool of a Took, Chris Dunford, Cincinnati's Sun with Face, Sky Hill eventually. Comic deals. Damn it, Casella. Danny at Brown Boy. Danny. David Leadhart. Delacro. Doc Strange. Van Hole's podcast. Jessica Melanowski. John is watching cartoons. Keith G. Baker. Crispy. Loki's trash. M. B. Melissa. Introvert extraordinaire. Mike at Sindalians to me. Nick Spence. Not Gorilla. Film history now. Richard Field. Ryan Daly, he, him, Harumbe, Salacious Rum, Scott X, Shanna Banana, Star Wars Crazy, Stony Talk, Tom Hillsworth, Wrecker Talk, Wacky Bronze Silver Comic Book Villains, Xenozoic Xenophiles, and Zachy M. Among the enough Sayers were Debesh, who wrote, I've been taken to task repeatedly for not speaking glowingly of Loki. Looking forward to listening to this installment. Perhaps not Debesh, and Tony Stark, part of me, Stony Talk, wrote Disney Plus show Loki is absolutely superb, and Marvel Studios Assembled is also a marvelous treat. And finally, the Mary Marvel Marching Society. A.J. Shadow, Doctor Ange, Anthony S. Baby Skeletor, Canoes, CEO of Uppity Negroes, Chris Lydon, Dirk Ashton, and more. Eugene R. Hendricks, Van Hols Podcast, Fetch the Ghost. This account is retired. The Hammer Strikes, Geeky Stuff and Voiceover, History of Comics on Film, Hulkling, hashtag Black Lives. Matter, hashtag mask, hashtag get vax, I was Joe Crawford, Jason snicked minimal Jeffrey Brown, they, them, Jenna Reagan, King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun Podcast, Marvel Universe Online, Harry Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante Podcast, Randy Caldwell, Relatively Geeky, Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast, Ronnie Casole, Tim Price, The Podcrush Weird Warriors Podcast, and Zwit Jameson!
1: This has been a non-for-profit fan production from Rolled Spine Podcast. Any copyrighted material presented herein are presumed covered under fair use with no infringement
3: intended. Till next time, Excelsior! March along, march along, march along the song of the Mary Marble. Look, Kashmir Rajneesh, why don't you just chill? Link and I are cruising the mountain, bro, and we figure we's the little juice. No, we's in the juice. we the juice. No, 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 we's in the juice. No, we's in the juice. <laughs> I see, bro. It's just like your childhood, remember? Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. That guy is exactly like my dad. See? Come on. Wait a minute, though! My childhood stopped. No, I, I can't do it, man. I can't, I can't handle being yelled at by some muscle-bound drill sergeant. No, man, I can't do it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm just a Captain America. I fell in some ice and later got thawed out by some of your scientists. Your world frightens and confuses me. Sometimes when I get a message on my fax machine, I wonder, did little demons get inside and type it? I don't know. (laughs) My primitive mind can't grasp these concepts. But there is one thing I do know. Every Mexican job, from tortilla flipper to bullfighter, will come north of the border. I can't wait to see the looks on their smug Mexican faces. (laughs) It'll be the final crushing blow that pulls the plug on that weak and impoverished land. (laughs) Sure, we don't want those Mexican jobs, but we can give them to people who do. Canadians. Meat group. Yeah. Figures hot on the outside, icicle in the middle, because you're a caveman.